everybody, and welcome to, uh, ah, man, is this, uh, is this episode... 13? 13? 13. We finished our year. Yeah. First one for the new year. Wow, well, welcome to the episode 13 of Movie Mumble. Um, our first, the beginning of our second full year of, uh, of coverage. Not to say second year like calendar year, January, mm. just, you know, our second full year of doing this. Yeah. Um, thank you all for being with us this far. And in honor of that beginning of our second year, this cycle, 13, 14, 15, is our favorite films. Boy, is it. Not our shameless picks, not our favorite in a particular genre or time period, just absolute favorite, mm-hmm. period. Uh, so for those of you who don't know what Movie Mumble is, it's a monthly movie exploration and discussion podcast where my uh, friends Joel, Tim, and I get together, pick a film, talk about it. But pretty simple. Um, described to me recently as book club, but for film. And, and yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it was good. It was inspired by me looking at my film collection and TV collection and having a lot of things on that shelf be, be things I would never have watched on my own, never even considered, but that I ended up watching because of friends. And I, I wanted more friends to share these experiences with, to share my movies with, to, to bring new films to me, and here we are. Um, I actually don't remember which one of you it was who said we should make that a podcast, but thank you so much. I think it probably was Tim. I think it was. I think it was at work. He's the day. idea guy. I think, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here's this idea. You make it happen. You do the work. It, it happened. Yeah. <laughs> it worked. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, we see where the discussion might take us. Uh, we could talk about the film the whole time. We could talk about the film's production, about similar films, about the actors, or about who knows what. Uh, we never really know where we'll end up. That's part of the fun. Um, at the end of every episode, we'll announce what we're watching next month, so that you can sort of watch along with us if you like. Uh, although we do have a, a bit of a special announcement. Special announcement. If you all want to <laughs> stick around for that. Um, <laughs> it's about some special episodes. Special episodes. There we go. You are better on that that we'll be doing. Yeah, <laughs> I realized I caught you off guard. So, anyway, I'm joined as always by my dearest of friends, Joel Lewis. Howdy. And Tim Gerard. Hello. And to kick off the first of our absolute favorite film cycle, uh, we just went in order. Joel, me, Tim. Joel, what have you brought us? The Fugitive. The Fugitive. Starring Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I've never seen The Fugitive before. I've been working my way through Ford's older body of work, mm-hmm. um, Clear and Present Danger, Patriot Games, etc. Tim, I don't know if you saw this before or not. So the fugitive before, before we no it no yeah, no I, so I mean I knew both of, of us yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I knew sort of the I had seen scenes from it I kind of knew seen what it was ads about. on FX yeah. you knew you know. the ending because of Mulaney's because uh, oh, he talks right. about yeah, where that's right yeah, that's right <laughs> he meets Bill Clinton for the first time in the same hotel and he kind of yeah. runs through the the end <laughs> that's there right. I forgot I'm that. so glad it didn't ruin it for you that's great Provasic. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's right yeah I remember the part when he went on the actual movie when he's saying you switched the samples yeah. I was like why does that sound so familiar <laughs> <laughs> right. so uh, oh yes I forgot my spoiler warning we will mm-hmm. not uh, we won't avoid any spoilers while we're talking that doesn't mean we're guaranteed to spoil the film like I said we don't know where the conversation's gonna go but if we end up talking about the end of the film we're not gonna you know stop ourselves or anything so if you're worried about that sort of thing please watch the film before you listen to this podcast mm-hmm. I mean, why would you listen to the podcast if you hadn't seen the film? Sometimes I do. Like, I, I did that for to... Justice League. Oh, really? I didn't want to oh, okay. watch Sometimes guess, you're yeah. interested in a certain movie, or, or maybe, God forbid, maybe they just like us enough to listen to what we say. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I love the dead silence of that. You both had to like hear it 
and then say, no, no, I, I want to react to that. <laughs> that was perfectly fitting. Thank you both. Um, it was a perfect like pitch of a laugh too, Tim. I don't like. I don't know how you did that. Probably couldn't recreate it, but it's perfect. Yeah, there, are, there are reasons, or, 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 you know, people might watch, might listen to this without having watched a film. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's too old. Maybe they saw it forever ago. Maybe they don't care about the movie, but they will after we're done talking about it. I feel like it. that's the whole premise of how did this get made? Like their podcast is about movies that are so bad. Why would you watch them? So <laughs> they get they discuss them so that you don't we're have to watch them. Right. Bad. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But I, and then yeah, harkening back to what I said about a book club from a film was, you know, we talked about it in the Skycrawlers episode specifically. Mm-hmm. Some of these films I have trouble describing to people mm-hmm. in a way that is short and sounds interesting. Right. But then when you watch it, you know, you right. go, oh yeah, you know, that was worthwhile. So that's, yeah. that's part of why we're here. Yeah. Don't explain away the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so why are we, we are... doing this? <laughs> why are we here? And we are we are still flipping coins, uh, and since uh, as in we flip coins to see who describes the film, who summarizes. Mm-hmm. Uh, since Joel picked, that means he flips the coin. Uh, the coin in question is Joel's glorious. Uh, is it a full dollar, Joel? I, I yeah, it's keep a Morgan Silver Dollar. Morgan dollar Silver Dollar. God, just look at it. We're supposed to picture somewhere. Um, we still it have it. It's a glorious sound. You'll hear it in just a moment here. Um, that'll happen. The next picker, which is me, calls it in the air. And um, winner of the toss determines winner of the toss who decides who, who summarizes. summarizes. Yeah, <laughs> it's a complicated and messy system, but it works for the purpose of uh, our own entertainment. So uh, screw you, <laughs> we're here for ourselves. So, <laughs> so yeah, if you'd like to flip, Joel, tails. It is tails. a long time since we got it a has. Tim-esque uh, well, summary. Well, I'm thinking but. about it. I Because I also just, I love this movie and I want to rave about it for a second, but I... Let's see. What else are we... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick me because I can't guarantee <laughs> what happens from my own favorite film. Right, right. But I'd also be happy either way. That's fair. I'm going to just, I'm going to take this one. So. so The Fugitive is a... I'll be honest, I mistook it for a long time as another cheesy, almost 80s action movie. Um, it, it comes to us from from officially from the early 90s mm-hmm. but you know there's always a bit of decade holdover but it it wasn't I gotta say it was of a caliber that sets it apart even from Ford's other work other action movie work um, and so Harrison Ford is a successful doctor his wife gets murdered um, he goes down for it even though he didn't do it and we see this in the opening part of the film that he definitely didn't do it and then he escapes and Tommy Lee Jones is the federal marshal hunting him down and you know, as they run, Ford, of course, is looking for who actually did it and why, and he uncovers a, a really remarkably well-written and and threaded plot, actually. Uh, it's, it's pretty deep. Um, so there's the, you know, the Chicago PD and the Federal Marshals and Ford and all the people he used to know. Just, he, he's one step ahead of them, you know, the whole way out there. And they're starting to uncover the pieces of the conspiracy that he turns over for them as they go. It's just wonderful. I, I, this movie started great, and every minute it just got better and better and better. Because, like I said, I, it wasn't as cheesy as I thought it would be. It wasn't as, I almost say, phoned in as I thought it would be. <laughs> everything was thought through. Everything was detailed. Everything was there for a reason or a purpose. And it was all beautifully constructed. And it brought us what is, you know, pieces of three films that on their own would all be worthwhile. You know, A Manhunt for a Fugitive would be its own solid film, you know. Uh, a husband wrongfully accused of his wife's murder, you know, w- and looking for the answers would be a solid film. And 
an innocent man caught in a web, a conspiracy web that he uncovers would also be a solid film. And we get all three of them, you know, spearheaded by Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones Mm -hmm. in just excellent performances. I wanted to say you said one step ahead, and that's very very literal in some because cases. Because yeah. there's so many almosts, mm-hmm. and but it didn't feel overbearing. There are right. some films you see that, and by the 18th time he slips out a back door, you're like, ah, oh, for God's sake, just like, feels cheap, right? But it didn't here, and I think it was really helped in the middle of the film by that section when he made it 20 steps ahead for a little while. Yeah, it was just just for a little while he had a, a safe gap, a little breathing room, mm-hmm. and it gave us and the plot some breathing room. Mm-hmm. It was great. So, so there you go. I know it's more of an actual summary than we tend to do oh, in these cool. fake summaries, but I, I re-listened to our Godzilla episode. <laughs> I went into way too much detail on that one. <laughs> you set the tone. Uh, it was a Joel explosion. What <laughs> <laughs> is what we've got today? Um, we're we're a little bit behind recording wise, so mm. we're going to try to record two episodes today. Hopefully you won't notice, but um, this is our first. This is the By the time AM we get to the second Marvel. one, it's going to also be a Joel pick. Um, it's related to the announcement we'll have for you at the end. Regarding Halloween movies, which you've probably already heard yeah. in a prior episode, mm-hmm. but we have more details today. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, Joel Splosion today, Joel Splosion and Godzilla. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to tell you guys how this movie came into my life. Mm-hmm, um, please. As with most movies that I love, it came from my dad. And I think I had already seen all of the Star Wars. I'd seen one and three of Indiana Jones. And my dad is like, have you seen The Fugitive? And I can't remember when. I, it would have been like early high school or something. And he, I think he, he bought the DVD because I hadn't seen it and he wanted to show it to me. Mm-hmm. And he prefaced it that said that he said, this has the greatest cop spiel in history mm-hmm. and I was actually looking at the the. I wanted to see the trailer I wanted to send it to you guys to, like in preparation for it but I didn't because the spiel is in the trailer and it's too good to waste so it, it's it was a movie I was I don't watch frequently because I, I want it to, to kind of maintain its its because there's twists and turns and stuff I want to let myself forget most mm-hmm. of it. But it was one that I was afraid bringing to you guys because I didn't know if it was as good as I remembered it being. And it, it is. It, it so is. I it, saw it the first time and it was just like instant in my head. Like these two actors, this storyline. And I was thinking as we started watching it, it's like it's a Batman movie without Batman. Like this <laughs> idea of like this tragedy happens... An innocent man who's driven by will and intelligence and his own abilities, solving it and getting out of it. And, like, just this, oh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. There's a lot of real ingenuity in the characters and their actions, and Ford especially. But it doesn't ever feel ridiculous. Right. Yeah, I mentioned at one point, so, so um, Ford's character is an accomplished doctor. And early in the film, he stitches himself up mm-hmm. in a you know, truck stop after an injury. And I said something along the lines of, we've already seen lots of him being a doctor in this right. movie. Him being good at it, him using the phrases, you know. Right. It's not what a lot of films otherwise have fallen into of, ah, yes, my character read the Wikipedia entry on medicine for mm-hmm. 20 minutes, and now they can do anything, you know. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, the whole film just kept putting me sort of unfortunately putting me in mind of these other half-hearted films because The Fugitive was not one Mm -hmm. and everywhere I looked I was like oh yeah 
this one shot or one scene was mimicked half-heartedly in how many other films that I've mm. seen. Like, this is the one. It felt definitive to me. And it's not. I mean, it is, but it, it came after, of course, is the thing, you know? The other, the other sort of typical 80s action movies came first because, as we mentioned, early 90s for this one. And it's almost like these guys looked at those movies and said, look at all these great ideas they just half-assed. Mm -hmm. Let's make an actual movie. And then they did. And oh my god, it's wonderful. Something that's so interesting about it is that they sold this movie on Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford. And they yeah. share screen time very briefly in it. You see them in the sewer oh, yeah. together. Mm -hmm. And you mm -hmm. see them kind of do these... But by and large, they're acting in isolation from each other. Mm-hmm. And that's that why helps. it makes it pop when they're there. Like, yeah. you're not tired of the combination of them because it's... And they're such different actors. The way they carry themselves. Mm -hmm. and It also helped give them some real breathing room yeah. to both act to their fullest. Which is something that we've recently talked about by coincidence with the Oceans movies. Mm -hmm. um, that the original, the old Oceans 11... Okay, so the new, the George Clooney Oceans <laughs> 11. <new> sorry. <laughs> um... Although it's got this huge ensemble cast, it puts the focus on a few of them. Mm. And it works, because they can put out huge performances, the others can put out small but high-quality performances, and in the sequels, we get features of the others. Right. And so by the time you hit the third one, everyone shares very equally, and it just works, you know? Ocean's 8's... My, I mean, I loved Ocean's 8, but my biggest stumbling block was that it felt sort of like 13, like we were supposed to already be familiar mm -hmm. with the whole group. And they were all fighting for screen time. And I feel like some of these wonderful actresses just got lost. Mm. Um, you know, because they sort of tried to do every, tried to fit them all in and then couldn't. Mm. Um, maybe they were worried they wouldn't get sequels. I don't know, whatever. But, yes, The Fugitive benefits from letting Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford both just have their own half of the film. And we don't have to worry about having too much of one, not enough of the other. We get them both. Yeah. On their own, in, plen plen in plentiful amounts. And, yeah. and then when they come together pop is the word you just hit the nail on the head it was interesting to watch it with you guys because what you were talking about seeing the u.s marshals kind of stumbling a lot and then kimball is doing a lot of detecting yeah like his research he he knows where to look and he he solves it but what's great is it doesn't smear mud on the marshals faces no i don't think that's the case because either. it's right. like a whole confrontation in the tunnel i didn't kill my wife I don't care. Because like, that's not, not why they're there. Care. Right. Yeah. We're here to catch you and put you back in a right. cell. We're not here to be detectives, you know? I'd forgotten that that scene came so early in the film. I think I said that as we were watching. It's mm -hmm. like, that, that's the icon. I think that's... I said that's what she said. <laughs> yeah. That's the scene. I that... know that's what you said. <laughs> that's the scene that I would always see on. I think it was just FX, you know, they do their marathons yeah. of whatever. Yeah. The part that they always use to, to advertise, you know, they do that thing where. They talk over the film and you see some shots with no sound. You get one shot with sound, yeah. and then they talk over it again, you know, The Fugitive with Harrison Ford, this night at eight. It was always that moment in yeah. the tunnel of, I didn't kill my wife, I don't care. And there's so much of the movie left. Yeah, it, it, I assumed just, that was a climax that right, they were yeah. ruining for us, right? because that's just how, you know, TV movie advertisements that's like work. That's first act. Like, yeah. like it's, it's so good. I... I'm so pleased you guys liked it. <laughs> I feel a little bit ashamed because I just, I liked it so much. Everything about it, period. End of sentence. Done. <laughs> and then, like, I have nothing else to say. You know? Mm. Nothing in it was, it was just good. Done. Like, I just <laughs> I have nothing else to say. And I feel bad about that because the whole point is to talk about the movie. But um, I, I liked it too much. So, uh, so Tim, save us. <clears throat> say something. Um, well, one of the things I, I noticed and I, 
I'm glad they didn't do this in the end because it would have made it silly. But, like, Joel, how you point out, there's the one character, like, when Tommy Lee Jones shoots the guy who has him and saves him, and he's like, oh, my ear, and I can't <laughs> hear. But then, like, later on, he's talking on a phone, and he's using that ear. Yeah. Or, or, like, you know, and it's like, part of me almost wanted it to be, like, a running gag throughout the rest of the movie, that, like, he's on the phone with his right ear, what, huh, what, and he has to switch to his <laughs> left ear. Or, like, there's one part where someone says something to him on his right and he just answers them immediately. Mm-hmm. Like, I was wondering to be like, what, huh, sorry? Oh, okay, yeah. But, but it was just like, no, that would have been, like, ridiculous. That would have, you know, made the film take, like, a, a, a mummy turn at the end where it's like, wait, I thought I was watching this really good serious thing and all of a sudden it's silly. But mm-hmm. in my head, that's what I kept expecting. Like, whenever that character would show up and they'd be, someone would say something to him on his right and he would just go about his business like everything was fine. I was like, oh, I thought your ear was hurt and you had hearing damage. It's such an interesting <laughs> scene, too, the idea that, like, Tommy says can you hear me mm-hmm. I don't bargain yeah and that's kind of the end of that conversation like he doesn't hold a grudge that kid doesn't mess up again mm-hmm. yeah and all that like I feel like that would have been some a moment that it would have been latched onto and expanded in something else mm-hmm. it's not necessary for this but right. it's just interesting that like and it's good at establishing for that character the marshal's character that this mm-hmm. guy doesn't fuck around. Yeah, he's bad, bad man. Mm-hmm. He's gonna take this guy down, and yeah. that that that's why it's so satisfying at the end when when he he has the ice pack for him. He takes yeah. the handcuffs off yeah. of Harrison. It's like the, he's not evil. He's right. it's been this juggernaut. Like he's this, a force, but he's a force for what's right. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know, he's, he's got he got a thinking going on inside yeah. there. Yeah. He doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't feel like, man, I got to get this guy because he's been under my skin. It's like, yeah, that, it's the job, yeah. right? Well, yeah, that's the thing. What was he supposed to do? Just, oh, you didn't kill your wife? Okay, I'll let you go. It's like, no, like no, he's still like, gonna catch him yeah. and like, yeah. you know, and even I don't care. You know, even exactly. if there was gonna be more, okay, well, now that we've caught you, let's look into this. Like, first we gotta catch you. Right. Yeah. Like, there's no standing here having a conversation about this. Right. You know. Um, first things you, first. But but yeah, the, but then you see that at the end when he tells him, like, look, we know that this did this, we know we got this guy, blah, no blah, blah, and it's like, okay, like, look, like, we're not, yeah, like, yeah, letting letting him know, like, look, we're not evil, we're not just gonna throw you back in jail, but you, you need to come, you need to come in, right. like, you can't be still just running around, like, you're still officially a fugitive, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, that was beautiful, huh? Oh, we have to talk about the uh, mustache-to-face ratio in this film. <laughs> Anything set in Chicago, especially from this era of filmmaking, it's like, it's mm-hmm. Mustache City. Yeah. We're, we're renaming the podcast <laughs> Mustache Mumble. <laughs> Movie Mustache. Movie Mustache. <laughs> I mean, that I feel like it, more than anything else, like, I, I noticed, I was trying to remember where it was set, and yeah. I saw... a policeman come in and he has the like cold weather hat mm-hmm. it's like okay it's chicago ah. but if you didn't have any of those clues those if you looked at the cues. mushroom the, the mushrooms the mustaches you'd say okay this mm-hmm. is chicago yeah yeah separate from accents separate from like any street signs because or the first the time city. we hear about it is at his sentencing he says yeah. illinois department of correction or whatever right. and even then it's a state right you know not not the city because I was looking at I was looking at the cops' badges and stuff, and you ah. could definitely tell. And mm-hmm. I mean accents, obviously, but <laughs> and it's so funny that like <laughs> I was noticing that Tommy Lee Jones has a very big gap where a mustache could go, but mm-hmm. he didn't have a mustache. <laughs> it seemed like an act to <laughs> resist to that. Right, hmm. that was great. I just I love too the all the plot pieces felt like they slid into place very naturally. 
the only two things that felt very slightly sort of manipulated. And by manipulated, I mean that in Bond films, literally everything is manipulated, mm-hmm. right? Um, oh, of course there's something for him to land on that's right. soft. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course this. But we don't care. It's fine. Right. In this, there were only two things that felt sort of, kind of, maybe, and it wasn't much. It was the train hitting the bus at the escape. Like, of course there are train tracks, and of course there's a train on it. Right. But I wasn't thinking that until just this moment right. now. And then the St. Patrick's Day parade for him to escape into. Right. Because they needed a way for him to get out of that situation. And they had already exhausted all their ideas in the rest of the film. So they said, let's make it St. Patrick's Day and he'll just jump in the parade. Mm-hmm. But I, again, I wasn't thinking that while I was watching the film. Right. It all just felt it felt great. And we've just long since established that there was cold weather in Chicago. So right. at the right time of year. Man, Harrison shivers a lot in this. He's <laughs> cold constantly. <laughs> You were saying something about it's weird to see him in a beard at the beginning of mm-hmm. this. And I like it's a great plot device to like we see him how we see him in every other film <laughs> clean shaven. Yeah. But yeah. He's so distinctive like that <laughs> him. <laughs> but it, like you we were talking about the idea that he looks like Manson when he's in the jumpsuit with that beard. He mm. kind of has that that look and I think that that help only helps the case against him that he kind of looks like this grizzled strange killer. Mhm. It's so crazy how he, he moves through Chicago unseen for so long mm-hmm. as distinct. Like, if we saw him on the street, we'd know that's Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. Like, but <laughs> it's just, it was really also, interesting. I mean, Harrison Ford. Yeah. But, but no we wouldn't know Dr. Richard Keller. Right. Kimball. Kimball. Thank you. <laughs> I also love, like, the lengths he was willing to go. Like, you know, like, you see the house he had before, the clothes he was wearing... And it's like at one point he's sleeping under a pile of leaves out in the woods, and it's just like this is what he has to do to survive. Or when he pulls the, the you know the little green derby out of the trash to blend yeah. in with the parade, and it's just like ugh, like that was in the trash, man. But it's just like hey, whatever, it's gonna help me get out of here and move on to the next yeah. stage. And everything know. is about immediate necessity. Yeah, and like how well, how good he is at like improvising and just what what do I need to do next? Oh, okay, here you know, and he's very proactive. Yeah, I see like what you're saying about him having this kind of lavish doctor life but he he's he's the instant everyman right mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm. never feel like this is a pretentious asshole right. it's a part of the motive he's because, just so everyman you know, in everything oh he killed his wife for the money yeah but he had money but like that's yeah, he didn't care you right. know the money was cool but it yeah. wasn't why he was there and we see it a few times throughout the film when he helps people yeah. medically you know he kind of takes that do no harm so to heart in this yeah so good such a likable character it's so frustrating to see him framed you know like I mean it wasn't intended for him to be framed like they were trying to kill him but it just <sighs> so good I love that like the what saves him is his intellect is his determination is mm-hmm. his will yeah. it's all within him and like uh, it just it's so satisfying to have a character like that, and it's so satisfying to see it played by. And to have it written well, and then yeah. yes, yeah. <laughs> what? I just, I'm laughing because it's it's another one of those things where it's like, good movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what are we yeah. saying? <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the one of the things I remember mentioning while we were watching it, you know, uh, since there's a lull, was kind of the how Harrison Ford has his own body language. Yeah. Yes. And like I feel like you can see it in all the films and and what's really cool about it is like I think it 
It helps make him look like he, he is this everyman. Like, he's not, like, an action hero. He's not trained. Like, you always see his limbs kind of flailing, and, yeah. you know, and, like, or like you were saying, the way he points, you know, like, you know, there's this, there's this... I want there's him this, to point at me, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. said, and I, I, yes, I'd agree. I want him to point at me, too. I wouldn't even ask him a quick, like, Harrison, could you just, just point at me? Yeah. Like, you don't have to acknowledge my presence. I'd like, get the out of my yeah. face. Yeah. <laughs> But, but it was also cool to see that side by side with Tommy Lee Jones, who were like his character was trained. So yeah. he was all his movements were very efficient, clean, mm-hmm. and precise. And then here's Harrison so, Ford, like, oh, I'm stumbling through the woods. And, yeah. you know, I just, you know, I just recently fell down a waterfall and swam to shore and slept under some leaves. So, like, you know, my maybe my hip is asleep and he's just kind of like stumbling through the woods. The man looks good, disheveled, like yeah. in gore, like he's beat up, like he just carries. Mm-hmm blood well yeah. I don't like it's a weird quality you put me in mind there Tim of and because you, you mentioned Heat earlier the film Heat yeah we were talking about um, Heat I so Heat one of Heat's I don't know fun facts was that um, Michael Mann had the cast who were playing cops go train with cops on shooting ranges and in yeah, tactics and body language cool. and firearm handling and he had the, the cast that was playing criminals interview with criminals mm-hmm. over the same thing um but that I noticed it more in Fugitive than I did in Heat. Mm. Um, but also, um, something that films still struggle to ever come close to is any kind of gun-based realism. Safety. Yeah. Um, they did great in this. I noticed all of, all the cop characters had trigger discipline mm. throughout the entire film. They had muzzle control. They take their weapons out and they chamber them because they don't carry them around hot. Right. Like, and when was this made? Like, early 90s? Yeah. Like, just... Thank you. It can be Thank done you. Well. Thank <laughs> you so much, filmmaker. It's not, you know... Um, but then it extended past that to the body language mm-hmm. and, you know, the ways they moved and the things that they did, the way they talked. The, the detail was there in every aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the guns were the thing that I noticed. But, uh, you know, you, you both mentioned the body language and now I'm thinking about the way they talk. It just... The way Tommy carries himself and the way he, like... He goes up to like this local sheriff, and he's like, "I'll be with you in a minute." And he's like, "Okay." Yeah. <laughs> he waits. <laughs> they bring the the uh, leg shackles. Oh, hey, look at that! <laughs> shackles like, with he, no legs in them. He yeah. just approaches people who are assholes and just treats them like he. he yeah, this he, lethal straightforwardness. Yeah, this, this, yeah. yeah, this like condescending, Assurance. like, "Oh, look at you being an asshole." I just, it's yeah. so. Yeah pleasant coming from him it's like yes well that's the thing is like he he knows he has the authority he has no reason to push it on people and that's what i've seen like most people (laughs) who are overcompensating it's because of insecurity he's not having he's not insecure he can wait fine like i'm gonna take over this whole investigation and i'm gonna be right about everything so go ahead you do your little press thing and then we'll get to real work here (laughs) funny when we find leg shackles without legs in them (laughs) where the kicks to these who had those you where are those keys? Oh, you think he might have gotten out? He might have gotten Oh! <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Fonz. <laughs> hey! Oh! Cop Fonz. Cop God Fonz. help us all. <laughs> <laughs> Outhouse, doghouse, farmhouse. <laughs> Just, oh, so good. Oh, he's so good. At it. I gotta say, too, I, I'm thinking about one of you said something like the film isn't dated it's really not I mean any film ends up dated just by the decor and the clothes and whatnot but but even something that always strikes me is 
um, and I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast before or just in person, was that the rise of the cell phone has, there's basically like a hard date, yeah. mm-hmm. like somewhere in the early 2000s, when films that are otherwise perfectly modern are instantly dated. And right. I was watching something, I think with you, Joel, maybe, that, I, not recently, um, that was, I forgot when it was made, and it could have been made five years ago for all I knew, and they used a payphone. And I was ah, like, ah, it is. wait, this is not recent. <laughs> And except for the payphones in this, that that's it. There's no other other dating issue because even when his wife, they have that recording of her voice when she gets killed. Mm-hmm. It's not on an answering machine. It's right. a nine one one recording, right? right. Yeah. Which of course still happens. So, yeah, it was actually. It's remarkably, uh, yeah, you know, remarkably open yeah. in its timing, which is great. I think that's I, not that films shouldn't rely on the technology of the time. There's an argument to say they should, but. Mm-hmm. If you can avoid it, it gives your film a... I'm not going to use the phrase time this quality. It's just that, that I could show this to my grandchildren, and, and it would it. still click. The right. only thing I'd have to explain to them would be a payphone. Right. If anything. Yeah. You know, that there's just a, and then the a, real an understandable real. nature. Yeah. <laughs> See, but even then, I... It's just it's a big thing. It words it has tape on it. I mean, mm-hmm. they'll, you know, they'll click. Oh, yeah, big computer recording things. It's an old movie. Who cares? Right? Like... It's interesting what you said yeah. about the idea of, like the cell phone having a hard cut, but there's also like the flip phone versus smartphone. Oh, certainly. Thing Visu- visually, yeah. That's something yeah. that does not work with the continuity of um, the Fast and Furious franchise, because huh. in continuity, Tokyo Drift comes after like six or seven. Oh, really? So oh, they go from having iPhones back to flip phones and sidekicks. Oh. Okay. So it, it's a real hard disconnect, at least in that one. Mm-hmm. It's just, I, it's interesting too. Which technologies, you know, have that kind of effect? Mm-hmm. A in the real world, but B in film, right. because there's so many other technologies that have drastically changed the way we live. But it is irrelevant to filmmaking. Right. You know. There's also like they talk about sitcoms don't work with the rise of the cell phone. The idea that like all of the misunderstandings that happen mm-hmm. result could, in three text messages. Yeah. Yeah. Where did they go? Oh, they missed their bus, but we don't know that. So we're going <laughs> to... Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> Which a lot of people struggle to facilitate by saying, oh, the phone is dead. Uh-huh. But I... Hmm, yeah. <laughs> it's also really interesting, if you ever watch older films that involve future technology, seeing what technologies were real right. and what technologies weren't, and then why. Right. Like some of the things that they dreamed about in the past, which were super cool, turn out to just be stupid. They're so <laughs> impractical. It's like, why would you want this? Like, but then other things would be really awesome. But it turns out it's much harder than we thought, and we might have this in three hundred years. Right. And then other things were just like, oh yeah, they're dead on, perfect. Right. You know the um, the Star Trek. Yeah. You know, communicator, of course. Data pad. Right. But like everyone going video phones video attached screen attached to your phone that shows you the person's face we have that now we don't give a shit we don't use it much like why, why would you bother right you don't need to talk to the person you don't need to see their face to, to get the conversation so so not you know and that, that's always sort of fascinating to me not, in, not just in filmmaking but in television in books and anything it's wonderful to look at past perceptions of future technologies and a lot of it gets explained away with magic mm-hmm which I mean, it doesn't. It's the point. I'm not trying to explain it. It's that they just say, wouldn't this be cool? Yeah. But that now, living in the year we are, with the most rudimentary understanding of these technologies, we can look at that and go, that's literally impossible. But like, they didn't know that. Mm-hmm. You know? 
it, it comes back to that whole uh, what's the old phrase any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic <laughs> you know because you get like like oh yeah you know you'll fly on an airplane you won't even have to touch your luggage you'll put it in a slot in your house that'll appear in your hotel room in another slot mm-hmm. and like that sounds super cool but like we're not going to build high speed chutes throw suitcases under the ground <laughs> faster than airplane speeds from every home on earth to every hotel on earth like how is that gonna happen you know unless you can teleport stuff to city right but you know they, don't, they weren't thinking about that because they didn't even have the basics yet or the building blocks it was just hey this would be cool great put it in mm-hmm. um but fugitive does not suffer from that in case you were all wondering sorry the, <laughs> no, the sidetrack there um i was trying to think of like what what criteria this met to make it my favorite film mm-hmm. like how do how do we analyze something so personal mm-hmm. and subjective mm-hmm. like i it's just for you it's perfect <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the answer is that you know because everyone else has their own metrics and their own understandings and their own things they can put into words and especially our own things that we can't mm-hmm. that you just can't explain it's all there for you in that film just like it's all there for me and my favorite and for Tim and his it's <laughs> mm-hmm. sort of I can explain the bits and pieces that I like but I could probably also find other films that share that mm-hmm. and I can explain that sort of mystical X factor thing that it has that other films don't but I could probably find other films with that too but this is the only one with all of it in one package yeah. I think for this one it's mainly a character performance driven thing that I latched onto. And it, this is weird, but like most of the movies that my dad introduced me to, the figures in them I wrap into my idea of my dad. Mm-hmm. So the idea of seeing Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford and my dad thinking this was really cool and me thinking it was <laughs> really cool, those are like two parts of my dad in this movie. And through everything else I watch them in, it's, it like has that in it. And I was thinking as we watched this, like, the climax of this film is very much like Die Hard. I saw this way before Die Hard because it's on the roof. It's this kind of bait and switch and this kind of like cat and mouse game, right? And like, I think the reason I liked Die Hard, other than it's amazing, is that it had a little bit of this in it too. Mm-hmm. I think Die Hard came first, mm-hmm. at least. Kind Which of one did you see first? This one for sure. Okay, yeah. So, and it's also like it, it's not. It was something I could watch at an early age, and it wasn't scary enough to, like, deter me or gory enough that my parents wouldn't let me watch it or those kinds of... It, it's mm-hmm. a very kind of, like... I think it's PG-13, but it's, like, the best version of a PG-13 movie. Like, it doesn't... I still maintain that PG-13 is a lost art. No, I did. And it happened I in video to... games, too, with the M rating and the T rating. Mm. Um, basically, so you have PG and PG-13 and R film roughly equated ish by SE10 and then by T for teen mm-hmm. for PG13 13, 13 and then M for mature for R right. both for the 17 year old thing and for whatever reason especially in video games but also in movies just a little more slowly uh, the foul language just skyrocketed and there are were and still are rules about how many F-bombs you can drop right. before things get to a certain place in PG13 um, I don't necessarily know if you know, games hit the same threshold. But yeah, I remember playing games that when I was starting to get into the um, the, the equivalent of R ratings, and going, this is almost a carbon copy of that PG thirteen game I played, but there's more cussing in it. Mm-hmm. 
and that was why it got a worse rating. And I, you know, obviously there are plenty of other things, gore and whatnot, that you know can help make the difference. Right. But I think that the foul language prevalence really just sort of PG thirteen and T started to sort of vanish. Mm -hmm. um, and then when they did show up, people sort of forgot how to do it anymore. Right. Um, well, that's the thing. Like with movies today, especially like if we're gonna like Venom, people are like, "This should be an R film because mm -hmm. of the gory nature of Venom," mm -hmm. right? And they they've talked about right. like how you end up with T PG thirteen films that feel crippled by right. adhering to the rating. And it's it's a selling point, yeah. right? We want to be able to market this towards kids. Kids yeah. should be able to go see this. Mm -hmm. We can make more money that way, so we'll film it a certain way or. We filmed it for an R cut, yeah. but ended up moving it back. But I want to point out that there are, there were, in, in some cases, still are, but they're getting more rare. Really good PG thirteen movies no, for sure. that would not have been made better by being R. No, I totally agree with that. And I just I think that was much more common once upon a time. Right. I mean, you get you know, Tomorrow Never Dies is PG thirteen, isn't it? <laughs> but like, I don't remember, and right. I wouldn't have cared if it wasn't. I, think I mean, I, yeah. all of the Bond films. Yeah, there's never been an R Bond film, no, has there? There hasn't. No. And like that's, you know, I just that, that seems to have vanished lately. Through the more era is PG. Yeah, because PG thirteen didn't come around until uh, roughly Temple of Doom ish era. Really? That, Temple of Doom was one of the reasons we have a PG thirteen rating huh. at all. Was uh, was it the was uh, Spielberg pushing for like? Well, yeah, it was it was on its way to an R rating, mm. and it barely squeaked through with PG. And it was sort of one of the many weights on the scales of we need a rating in between these two. Was it because it was scary? It was like suspenseful stuff, or I don't like Kalima details, I, ripping a heart out. That's maybe it's a little too bloody for PG, but then you know didn't warrant R. And and yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just remember that, and the Spielberg certainly helped give some weight to that that mm. push. But it was something that had been thrown around a few times and films that come out that had sort of awkwardly fit into one category or the other and Temple of Doom is one of the big one of the big hitters that came along and was like we, we need something else we need an alternative here so so yeah so for plenty of Bond films there was no PG-13 right. yeah so it's I, it definitely has a space there's a need for it and and obviously like, just, this is an example of how oh, yeah. how well executed it can be because I didn't feel like it was lacking anything no, like I didn't great. want Tommy Lee Jones to just start cussing or spout off yeah. or like I didn't want to see any more of you know Harrison Ford's wife the um, way they, they handled that footage the kind of flashbacking in oh, the beginning yeah. and it, just having it in black and white and with that kind of stop motion -y cadence to it was really effective, almost noir. It almost felt like flipping through a, a newspaper with mm -hmm. images or something. Absolutely. Like the idea of the negatives being how you're seeing that yeah. violent act take place. But, but yeah, but we didn't want any more. You know, we didn't need to see a bone sticking out of an arm right. or something. I, I, it wasn't yeah, you necessary. get you get that problem of films that are PG-13 that are crippled for it, that needed the space to breathe. But you also get the problem of films that are R that are crippled for it, weighted down by unnecessary shit. Right. Almost literally. <laughs> um, you know, with this, why, why is this guy cussing every third word? Like, that feels so unnatural. Or, you know, this guy just closed his hand in a door, why is there as much blood as a Tarantino movie? Right. <laughs> like, Well, isn't that yeah. a thing, like, Snyder's original BBS cut was R-rated, and then they I cut it know. down or something I like that? No idea. 
Because it, it seems to be like superhero movies specifically, and we always talk about superhero movies. I apologize, hey. listener. But the idea that like these are supposed to be for kids, or at least we want to market them towards kids because there's more money that way, or like because Logan was for a long like it's an R-rated yeah. film, right? And but it really earns it. No, it definitely does. Yeah. I think that's totally like within the realm, especially how gory that character can be. Oh yeah, like which is. Funny because when Origins came out, yeah, um, we got a actually really good video game called X Men Origins Wolverine that really? was the equivalent of R rated okay. because of all the gore. I see. And the only reason they could do that when the film didn't was because oh, video games, you know, right. they're for kids and they're teens and they're bloody. And, right. But like when I played that game, and I rented it from Blockbuster, <laughs> still around, <laughs> and played through it. And new year, new blockbuster reference. You know, my job now, bitch. <laughs> you um, steal sticks now. <laughs> hey, um, and uh, it just—it was so great. And I, the, the, every time I watched X Men movies after that, I—I I was missing it. Mm. You know, I was just missing. He stuck his claws through the sky. Why is there not a single drop of blood from these three stab wounds that just showed up? You know, I didn't need them to be fountains. Just what, there's nothing there. Why not? You know, it felt—it felt weird. And then we finally got Logan, and it was worthwhile. But Deadpool's like that, too. Yeah, certainly. Mm. And it fits the character. I, I was actually going to argue that Watchmen sort of earns its R rating and then and then wastes it. Yeah. I Not wastes it, but sort of... There are definitely things to do with the blood <laughs> and the tone and whatnot that did, that are, are well done, and they that deserve the rating. That is because of Big Blue Dong, let's But yes, thank here. you, that's the... They, they could have just not, you know, covered it up like they did with the TV release and whatnot, mm. and the movie still would have been R, and it wouldn't have been any less weighty for it. I haven't, I haven't read that in a long time. He, it, you see it in the comic, right? Does nobody else read I can't rem- I, I, I can't remember it. Yeah. I feel like we would have remembered that. Dong Watch. Right. <laughs> that's what Watch the Watchmen Mumble? are watching. <laughs> and I get that it's, I mean, you know, truth to the character, etc., but also a representation of how detached he's becoming from humanity that he doesn't care about nudity anymore you know but just that I wouldn't have thought about that one way or the other right or noticed you know and it still would have earned its rating on the weight of its content and its themes and all the the violence and whatever else is going on but then instead all I could think about is Big Blue Dong you know so yeah it's rating great it sort of does both it earns it and wastes it all in one go It's interesting, like, the public perception of the R rating and the idea that, like, parents were taking their kids to Deadpool and then complaining mm-hmm. about the fact that, I mean, <laughs> why, yeah. why should we let our kids, you shouldn't, that's the thing. And that's You're part not of why the rating yeah. system exists, is to cover the studio's butts, right. you know, with, we gave you They're a description of the yeah, content yeah. that's in here, and now it's up to you to decide right. what's appropriate for your child, and, yeah, and that's... The rating system should definitely make make efforts to keep up with changing public moods, mm-hmm. but it doesn't it doesn't have to and is incapable of doing that quickly. You know, it shouldn't be reactionary; it should be gradual. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's interesting. Uh, my partner Tyne and I were talking about um, Star Wars: The First One, New Hope, and how I watched it really, really young, so mm-hmm. so early that I can't remember not having watched it. And she, we were talking about it, kids and stuff, and like, she doesn't think you should show that to kids before a certain age because of how graphic, 
uh, uh, Baru and um, Lars. Ah, the skeletons. Like oh, yeah. that's so. What's funny really is I disturbing. had a similar conversation. Well, not me, but my mom and other people about Empire Strikes Back specifically. Mm-hmm. And I watched the first Star Wars. I was very young. Great, no problem. I mean, you know, skeletons are inside people. Mm-hmm. See the skeletons? It means they did. Right. right. The only part I had to ask was, wait, skeletons? And mom's like, that was his aunt and uncle. And I was like, oh, okay. Because they weren't recognizable. Right. Yeah. But like, whatever, they're dead. You know, yeah. I, skeletons are inside people. I'm a right. kid, you know, we get it. Um, and the idea that it's kind of a, well, no, it's not bloodless, because we see that in the cantina. Oh, the arm mm-hmm. in the cantina. It's That's pretty grotesque. And the Even idea, that like. didn't really shock me for some reason. I think I. You could justify him still being alive. No, that's fair. And that's the whole thing. Is like, the, to what degree that's okay to us now mm-hmm. having grown up with it. But like, if a kid is prone to seeing blood and it makes him sick, and that that, yeah. that kind of determination is well, really see, interesting. What I was going to follow up with was, we went to get Empire, and my mom had been talking to some of their parents. I was talking to their kids, you know, the whole, mm-hmm. all in a group somewhere. And they said they'd heard that Empire was of the three, because there were only three at the time was the one that was the least kid-friendly, if that makes sense. Really? Which I would agree. I think of the three, it's certainly the least kid-friendly. And so we watched it, and I was stricken by the blood when Luke cuts off the Wampa's arm, which for some reason felt more violent to me than yeah. the guy in the cantina. Well, you get um, kind of the snow, the white, the contrast. It's yeah. much... Yeah. And then you get, you know, just Luke getting just beat to hell through that whole third act. Right. Lots of, you know, cuts and bruises. He really looks worse for wear. And then his hand gets cut off. And that right. that film absolutely had a stronger impact on me than the original did. And is it because it was more impactful or because I was told it would be? That's fair. Because I watched the first one and I was fine. Mm. But as you're pointing out to me now, the first one has, you know, the Wampa is just a, just a wild animal. Mm-hmm. You know, which which to a point lends a, a certain self-defense nature to Luke's right. role. Well, also, he cuts the tauntaun in half. Oh, yeah? And yeah shoves Luke in it. Lukewarm. Yeah. Um. <laughs> As opposed to, uh... That's supposed to the cantina bit, where... That's a... He, yeah. he, Obi-Wan sort of just throws his weight around and cuts the guy's arm off, you know? Well, I think they also don't show his arm getting cut off. Isn't more like a... Bzzz, and then yeah. it's just laying just on the, the ground. Arm right. That's true. So you don't see the actual sever... Right. You know, which, which is with the, as opposed to like the Tauntaun and Empire and then Luke's hand and Empire. Right. Like, you see, like, oh my god, you know, and as a kid, you don't know what special effects are. You're like, they just cut that guy's hand off. What the fuck? You know, you don't know that Tauntauns aren't real. You're like, right. well, I've never seen a kangaroo either. Doesn't mean that's not real, right. you know? Like, <laughs> this is the thing, the, probably the most disturbing image in the original trilogy for me is when they're at Jabba's palace and the droids are looking at all the other droids being tortured mm-hmm. and they turn the gonk droid around and burn his feet yeah. and, he's, and then no, rip that no. other one apart the other yeah. one's like just <laughs> like that's terrifying the back and forth treat, the contradictory treatment of droids in the Star Wars universe yeah. is something you could write an entire thesis about seem to be made to suffer it's our but, lot um, of life <laughs> but uh I, did, I will say though only recently ooh so yeah so speaking of PG-13 again in Star Wars I I started playing Star Wars video games. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Right, who hasn't? Mm-hmm. And they've largely Tim. been... Tim. Tim hasn't. I've played... Uh, they've they've largely been, been <laughs> the you know PG-13 or less. And I'm going to stick to movie ratings for the duration of this conversation. But um, <laughs> first, you know, Unity here. Mm. Um, but... Unity. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> there was one called Republic Commando. It's a shooter. Yeah. You're a clone commando troop leader, and you have your squad, and you shoot. And that one was rated at R, basically. For, you know, the violence. 
Which, again, was one of the things that struck me as, this is no different than all the PG-13 rated shooters I've played, except that because I have a helmet on, sometimes when I kill something, a splatter gets on my visor and it gets wiped off. Mm. And otherwise it was, you know, basically the same. So it was that, that was enough gore. But, just the, the, the minute details, I guess, of the fighting and that, and then a couple of really, really well-made uh, animations that I saw. For a different game for an MMO they have a really great you know cutscene studio mm-hmm. made me watch The Force Awakens when it came out and go this feels like it should have been more violent and was cut down to forcibly meet its rating hmm. but then when I talking I, about Raftars or I, just the whole everything and I even even I feel that a little bit about like Return of the Jedi almost like it was sort of that the, what's going on in the world should have been more weighty. more violent, more weighty. Mm-hmm. But then, you know what? I did not have that problem with Last Jedi. No, that... Yeah, and I so to point out, we, we even within Star Wars franchise, we have cases of earning and not earning the right. PG-13 rating of a sort, utilizing it to its fullest and not. Um, although I don't know what Force Awakens was rated. Was that PG, maybe? I haven't actually paid attention to the ratings. That's another thing. After a certain age, you kind of don't yeah, still like Star Wars, like, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but when it starts to affect content, right? Yeah. And we're because we're kind of inundated with every step of the production process now, mm-hmm. we have access to that information. Yeah. And it was what else really did it for me was that Clone Wars TV series, which I know I've talked both your guys' ears <laughs> off at length about. Um, the miniseries, that, right? You're talking about the. Or are you talking about... No, the full series. The full series. Well, both, really. But the full series was... There were times when it really came close to being a really phenomenal war drama. Then they remembered that it was an animated show for For kids kids. on TV, and they had to step back. And ah, it drove me me crazy. And I just... I want someone somewhere to find a creator, hand them a chunk of Star Wars world, don't even care what it is, and just say, this can be rated R. I don't want to see what happens. Mm. But I think they're staying away from that, you know, for the universal appeal and, and etc. Well, Which is, is fine. I mean, this that, is an interesting thing to. that films haven't done. But I think probably the closest to doing it effectively is the Harry Potter series. The idea that those films grow up. <laughs> yeah. You know, the first Certainly. two. I mean, there's they're scary elements in their stuff, but like those are very geared towards kids. Mm-hmm. Once the director changes in three and the material gets seri- more serious, as those books grew up with us reading them. So did the films, mm-hmm. and that's something that's kind of foreign to filmmaking or even series progression. Is the mm-hmm. idea that you sh- you have a target audience, but you're not trying to keep that target audience. You're sh- trying to keep that generation as it moves up. That's, that's something, something specific. That film suffers from by being a single package most of the time. That's we true. talked about this before about how television has the ability to tell longer and broader right. stories than film because you have more space to work with. And similarly, except for Harry Potter, which they made eight movies out of, you often you get one shot. You right. know, that's your audience in the moment. I'm saying like TV series. I don't think do that either. Oh no. I I, I mean, Buffy kind of did. Okay, I could see mm-hmm. that. Yeah, they also had a huge I mean, amount of time to do yeah. it. Like that's. I don't know in terms of like rating, quote unquote, but in terms of like the character growing. You mm-hmm. know, Smallville yeah. did that too. You know, where you, yeah, you're growing up with the character. And, Certainly. You know, there are well, definitely things like, oh, you're this is your first year in high school now. Oh, versus, oh, you're at like college age, you've graduated high school. Right. Like, you know, the, the themes that were dealt with. But that's which, exactly it. You say you don't know about rating. I to con to to point myself out as wrong. Of, I've always wanted them to give Star Wars someone that it be R rated. 
Last Jedi proved to me they don't even have to do that. Right. I can get the weight I need without them having to right. to step past that line. And like you just mentioned here, Tim, Buffy, Buffy did it, but it was on TV the whole time. The same yeah. network, you know, the same... Didn't suddenly move to HBO and suddenly get bloodier. Like, right, it just, yeah. you know, within the same constraints, cool. <laughs> as it were, they were able to yeah. mature and grow and change their story. Well, I think, you know, and that was, I think, partially, like, well, due to, like between Joss Whedon sort of you know the, the, the idea of like dusting the vampires where okay we don't have to see blood like they turn to dust it's fine and we're killing monsters you know and I feel like yeah there were only a lot of like the really bad deaths they came sort of later in the series I mean I'm sure there were a few early on um, but yeah but it wasn't necessarily dealt with in a term in, in terms of like um, you know gore or swearing it was like like the content of it like you know the the, the episode where Buffy's mom dies like you know that's this very mature very heavy episode and it's like you don't need an r rating to deal with the death right. of the parent but like you know he was so good at like writing that episode and everyone was so good at acting it that like yeah you felt all this weight it felt very mature it felt very very heavy and but but it wasn't like oh look we're also gonna yeah drop an f-bomb in this episode or right. like you know and i think that's part of it too like i, I understand the you know how ratings get tossed around because of that mass appeal mm-hmm. like well we want to make this money but you know, I, I feel like, yeah, and maybe this was what you were saying about, like, wasting the R. Like, sometimes it's, or maybe the other end of it, it's almost like a crutch, you know? Yeah. Like, yes. well, I want, I want titties phrase. in my film, you know? And it's like, oh, okay, sure, okay, I guess we're going R rating with this. And it's just like, well, did that need to happen? Or I feel like I've seen a few films like that where there's, like, no nudity through the whole thing, and then they go to a strip club. And it's just like, okay, like, right. like yeah, so like, why do we have to, or we could right. go to a strip club, and I, I feel like I've seen movies before where they're on the ankles. stage, so you see like waist down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like okay, we don't need to see nudity, and it almost pulls you out of it. It's like this whole time we've done without it. This isn't you know part mm. an integral part of the character's growth or whatever. Or like, even the world, like yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of a lot of import attached to whether you get an R or PG thirteen rating on your film because it changes the demographic mm-hmm. for sure. Not even, yeah, not even so much that it changes what you're going to make from ticket sales, which it can. I, I think I think generally PG-13 movies get more sales because you know more people will bring their children right. with them. They'll look at it and say, well, I decide this is okay for my kid right. you know, mm-hmm. in PG-13 and whatnot. But, so you get a wider age range. But on the other hand, you know, the, for the certain people you want to be seen and to be talking about it and to be the type of fan community you want to foster... Of people who will come back and then give you money again. Right. Sometimes you do want an R rating and not a PG thirteen rating. You know, you want to limit the scope of your audience a little bit. But then, yes, that absolutely causes sometimes just where it's a crutch, where it's like, well, we really wanted the R rated, you know, group of the public to be the ones talking about this. So, uh, 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 uh quick, here's some gore and uh, right. here's a topless girl. Done. Yeah. Like, but then, you know, it's sort of. Did you not trust your film on its own merits enough for yeah. us to just for those people to be interested? Well, it seems like anyway. it's a, yeah, like an R-rated film made by a thirteen-year-old. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're gonna say fuck a lot. They're gonna be boobies. Yeah, right. you know. You know, it's that's like, what, what I was expecting <laughs> from the first Hangover. Oh right. And then yeah. it's not what I got, right. and I was really pleasantly surprised. Yeah. But a lot of those those raunchy comedies hangover. get that to be sure. <laughs> but a lot of those raunchy comedies are a great example of yeah. that that sort of just. You know, this mm-hmm. didn't need an R rating. You you just threw it on there. But I mean, at least that's a, a specific 
genre. Oh, certainly. That it's like right. so it's what your expectation it's is, to it. and it's mm-hmm. like yeah, we're gonna these are high school kids, so there are kids who are around the age of eighteen. So yeah, a a thirteen year old shouldn't be seeing a movie about a bunch of eighteen year olds trying to have sex, you know, right. and, and whatever else, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and do drugs, and you know, and it's like yeah, it's gonna they have inevitably that sort will, of, but they should, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. American Pie is what you were thinking. Yeah, right? of course. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think if Harrison Ford has ever been in an R-rated film. Well, Blade is, Runner. Is Blade Runner R-rated? I think so. Let me get it. I thought it was PG-13. Maybe the theatrical cut? Oh, that's fair. Mm. Uh, let me see. Probably the director's cut is unrated. Oh, no, it just says R on here. Okay. On the back. So gotcha. either they only put the rating for the longest <laughs> version or they were all R-rated. Even there, like there's, there's a little bit of nudity in the middle of that film, very briefly. I'm just trying to remember him saying, "Fuck." He doesn't. I don't think. <laughs> I, but that's like, yeah, it's a great oh, example of a cool film. that's another cool thing about this movie is he says my name. One of the kids that he treats, his name is Joel. Uh, <laughs> in Blade Runner, the whole weight of the film is the things that are happening, the sequence of events, and the meaning for the characters, yeah. and, and a little bit of violence. Right. And, and the violence, despite not being very bloody is very very brutal you know broken yeah. limbs and whatnot yeah. and it's oh there's that great shot of him with a shot glass and the blood coming yeah. out of his mouth oh, yeah. yeah like that's so you feel it and that's why it's rated R not because of you know mountains of foul language or mm-hmm. you know provocative sex it just right. it's it's there with purpose you know what I wonder too is that if there'll be not necessarily an increasing amount of R-rated movies, but like if we look at sort of the you know the, the the Harry Potter and the Star Wars and like I guess maybe specifically the comic book movies, like a lot of the the people I feel like or video games I guess another good example mm. you know I feel like years ago when video games first came out it was children playing video games mm-hmm. and there was no adult that was going to go see a video game movie because that's for children like regardless of how it's handled. Gotcha. But now those kids have grown up and have become adults. Right. So I, f- I feel like there almost is a sense of like, yeah, we probably could do a movie that's completely R-rated and we're appealing to the amount of people who were children back when this stuff started, but now they're all adults. So it's not like, oh, we made a comic book movie that's rated R. Nobody's going to go see it. It's like, well, no, tons of people. I mean, yeah, you're right. They may not show their kids like with something like Deadpool, but like I feel like Deadpool still worked. You know, it's not like yeah, it was it, a failure. Sure. You, you, know? you get the problem of the video game medium grew up very quickly. Mm. Um and I mean, not that it did it very easily, but very quickly. Because, you know, an adult game, and not adult, right, but a, a game for adults would have been Doom or mm-hmm. Duke Nukem right. 3D. Right. But, you know, they were for adults because of the mountains of violence, the demon monsters, or Nuke Nukem's case, just the juvenile humor. Mm-hmm. You know, the college-age potty Funny. humor. Juvenile. And, and meeting adults in that <laughs> sense. Right, but that's the thing. that It was for adults being, you know college age whatever you know mm-hmm. not as opposed to you know Mario for kids mm-hmm. or any for anyone of course yeah. but acceptable for kids Duke Nukem like Forever they... finally came out mm-hmm. you know some some few years ago now and so all the people who played the old Duke Nukems were now so old they felt it was stupid they'd grown out of it uh-huh. and the kids who'd grown up you know our age with, with video games yeah. who had had brief tastes of I don't know if The Last of Us had come out by then, but, you know, brief tastes of real storytelling mm-hmm. and mature gaming looked at this and went, this was this was important, right? This right. was, oh, like, you know, 
it, it, it was a waste of its own R rating because it was like, this is a game that would only appeal to 11-year-olds. Now. Yeah. Nowadays. Right. You know. But yeah, but that, you know, just, just the gap between when Duke Nukem Forever came out and the others, and that was a good 20 years. It was a long time. But, yeah, you know, video games yeah. had, a, had a serious shift. So then, yeah, you finally get video game movies. They made that one we talked about earlier, Doom. Except it's, you know, from a filmic perspective, it's it's not very mature. Isn't it maybe that one PG thirteen too? I don't think I don't, that one. Got I don't remember. But you know, because it was films not understanding what video games were, but instead having a picture of what they had been like right. ten years earlier, and then it, you know. You get, yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of a mess. That's a whole other can yeah, of worms. Is the podcast. ineffectiveness of video game movies. Well, maybe part of it's just like maybe some mo- some games just shouldn't be made into movies. You know, like right. you were oh, saying absolutely. with Duke Nukem, if it's only going to appear to eleven year olds, then yeah, don't do it. You know, right. so if you try to do it and it doesn't work, it has nothing to do with the rating, the director, or whatever. It's just like it's too small of a market. You know, yeah. let and it just th- be a game. You know, the other thing is that well, like, like, Duke Nukem Forever was a game. I should be clear. No, but I'm saying if we were oh, if you oh, were yes, going to yes, make yes. it into a movie yes, and yes. it wouldn't work for just eleven for only eleven year olds, then then don't do it. Right. And I, I I didn't see Doom, so I don't know. I don't I don't want to pass judgment on that, but I don't know if that was part of the issue. Like maybe it wasn't done well, or maybe it shouldn't be a film at all. You know, maybe there isn't enough there to make it um, worthwhile being a film, rega- film regardless well, of the rating. Well, it's funny you say that because then there was the Doom reboot that was just recent. We're getting the sequel. This this year, I think mm-hmm. this month, so maybe the game or the movie. The games, the game. okay. And I still have the, the reboot, the first reboot here in my cabinet, and it's phenomenal. And it could only ever be a game, right? Mm-hmm. And they that's where the strengths lie. Uh, so like you're you're right. They figured it out. You know, yeah. <laughs> they figured it out. Don't forget that minesweeper into a movie. Yeah, <laughs> it was. You know, here's a massive arsenal of weapons, and an endless legion of demons from hell. Kill as fast as you can go and that's it that's the whole game and mm-hmm. it's so much fun you know the plot is there leads you along you follow yeah. it but you know where you can't do that with a film you get a dumb film you know yeah. mm-hmm. but there's a, the other thing is that there are some games that the perfect version of that narrative is the it's, game the, yes it's yeah. impossible to capture even with a weekly series you you would miss out on the mm-hmm. game gamer input into that narrative and the mm-hmm. investment of time and with those characters. It's funny because yeah. I'm gonna. This is gonna be a, a rough statement, but I almost want to argue the Batman Arkham games would have worked as films or TV series, because I mean the gameplay is great, right. the grappling around and beating people up. Yeah. But it doesn't. You know the parts that I'm putting in as a player aren't story. They're right. gameplay. Right. And the whole thing is great. They're phenomenal, and I love them. But like I could have just been been watching that story, and the story right. would have been the same, uncompromised. Then you get things like The Last of Us, where you directly your actions input. are integral chunks of the story, yeah. and so having that same story without me impacting it, it would have lost a lot of its weight. Until Dawn's like that too. Mm, mm-hmm. that, Absolutely, that game's fun. <laughs> like as a film, it would have just been a another good, but another slasher film. But as a game. Where we make choices that determine who lives and dies, yeah. it gains a whole new level of, uh, of impact. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's why I still want to see like a Legend of Zelda like movie TV show because my favorite thing about that is not the gameplay; it's the mythology. 
like getting through the gameplay to get to the story. I think you would have had um, a better chance of that before Breath of the Wild came out. Oh, I haven't played it yet, so don't spoil anything. Well, no, I mean, I, not even plot-wise, but just the nature of Breath of the Wild being open world mm -hmm. and being that Link's story then is whatever you choose to do with your time. Mm -hmm. And that determines whether he's a hard-charging, beat-the-odds, you know, straight into the final boss hero mm -hmm. or live in the world and experience it and enjoy it and then go face the evil that's rising. Yeah, I feel hero. like you still get... The yeah. mythology, or what? That, and you do. Yeah. The mythology's there, I but think, I mean, it, it would be much harder to adapt that because in Breath of the Wild, your gameplay is much more impactful. It right, but you still have the literally everything. The mythology through all the rest of the other games, and that's, that's what I mean about sort it, of laid out. They would need to look at those yeah, for inspiration. For sure. yeah. But Breath of the Wild has shifted the, you know, the perspective. Yeah, but I mean, that's the thing is like you could, I mean, you could even remake the other games with like current technology and you know just revamp like oh yeah it's the same map but we're making it look good and you know i feel like it would still the mythology the story would still hold up like the gameplay is obviously drastically different from the original yeah. legend of zelda but you could very easily just lift you know and that's the thing is this mythology spans out and actually the original legend of zelda takes place after uh skyward sword chronologically <laughs> So like wow. you know yeah, you have this thing like, like I think Skyward Sword is actually chronologically I don't know about the new one Breath of the Wild but Skyward Sword I think is the first in the chronology of the Zelda stories. Wow. And then there's actually parts where the timeline splits and there are three right. separate That's timelines. Because of Ocarina, right? It's because of or is it that of and then there's swords? another one and then oh and then there's also it's also because of um, the time one. Uh, 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 um, second one, Majora's Adventure Mask? of Link. Adventure of Link. Because if you die, part of the thing, uh, if, uh, Adventure uh, of Link, uh, whenever you die, it says, you you know, if you die, your your blood is sprinkled on Ganon's ashes and Ganon comes back. So that's one of the timelines is that when you die in Adventure of Link, Ganon comes back and then there's a whole, uh, I forget which games fit into that storyline, but that's a whole other timeline. That's and awesome. then there's a timeline, I think the timeline where, yeah, if you, if you beat Adventure of Link, that I think leads to... The Ocarina of Time, which then splits again from there. Whether you kind of like do you know win or or, or go back in time and stay or stay as a kid, or stay as an adult or whatever, something mm -hmm. along those lines. But yeah, there's actually a video if you guys are interested on <laughs> on YouTube. I also have a book <laughs> that I bought. But anyway, like yeah, there's this whole mythology to draw from, and I feel oh, like certainly. you wouldn't have to. I, and and maybe sometimes that's the weakness of some video games like you were saying with doom where oh it's a first person shooter video game we've got to have a first person scene in in the movie <laughs> yep. it's like maybe maybe you don't maybe if the story is strong enough to carry it it's the story that you're turning into a movie not the gameplay i'm more along the lines you know. of a direct adaptation that instead of like if i had played batman arkham city instead had just watched batman arkham city the movie yeah i could have had the exact same plot right you know yeah. because yeah. my gameplay was separate right. from the plot yeah Whereas you couldn't ever have The Last of Us the movie, right. because you lose the hands-on impact. Of you course, know, separate from Clue kind of did that, right? You know, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> separate from, you know, if you wanted to just make a Legend of Zelda movie, you could totally do it. There are plenty yeah. of tools there. Right. But I mean, like if you were going to adapt one of those games direct onto the screen, mm -hmm. it couldn't be Breath of the Wild. Right. Was yeah, and that's fine. There's, yeah, there's, there's the plenty of yeah, but, plenty yeah. of drawn. Yeah. But that you could have probably managed. I guess not even one of the choices ones like Link's Adventure. It would have had to be something like, uh, like Majora's Mask, maybe. <laughs> something again that the plot isn't directly related to your choices. But I mean, they've also action. done stuff. I mean, well, the the 
for those, it's not necessarily directly related because you can die in Adventure of Link and you just start over and you play again. You keep mm. playing until you win. Right. But like, there's the yeah, it's like a theoretical timeline. <laughs> like, hey, if this is an actual thing, like, what what would have happened? And then they sort of ba- did a, a series of games based on that. But I mean, so you didn't you wouldn't have to do that. You could just tell the story of you winning. You know, of of yeah. that timeline. You know, you you something in the attendance is there. It just clicked me into that was part of the problem with video game or movie based video games for a long time mm-hmm. was <laughs> people watching movies going that was fun let's make a game and not realizing there's nothing to make your character do there's nothing right. different you know right. like the fugitive video game would have been nothing <laughs> it would have been push stick forward make character walk that would have been the entire game I'd play that game because all the cool stuff that happens you know Harrison Ford figuring out the thing or making the fake ID or whatever there's no way to gamify that to right. To put it in your hand with controller input buttons, you know, right? As opposed to, um, you can only kill his wife once. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is, it's not going to be a fugitive for something else. As opposed to just James Bond video games, where you can basically, you know, play all the shooting parts and all the driving parts and all the vehicle parts and all the action parts. Right. And leave out the rest, and still have a decent game on your right. hands. You There's know? a level in the fugitive rent a room, <laughs> right? It's just a dialogue tree from a Russian drug dealer's <laughs> mom. Just, Everyone you love is a criminal. <laughs> it's a dialogue tree. She speaks something incomprehensible at you, and your options are yes, 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 and okay. <laughs> so, but that yeah, actually, I now that I think about it, movie-based video games really struggled for a while too, mm-hmm. because of that, because they didn't understand the. The player has to have input and agency and direct action, and and if you're gonna, you know, adapt a movie, the, the audience has no agency in a movie. Mm-hmm. That's the nature of movies. So that's not to say like the set pieces from a movie would not make no, yeah. entertaining. I, there levels, are great things but... to put in and great ideas right. to shift over, but you can't just in in both directions. It's hard to copy paste. Yeah. Well, and and one thing maybe I should wait till my favorites to talk about this, but the Path of Neo video game. Oh yeah, the Matrix video games. It was made by the how creators many, of the va- Matrix. How many of those did they make before Path of Neo? Because uh, not in a single one of those did you ever play Neo. I think it was only Path the the one where you played as Niobe or Ghost. It was Enter the Matrix. Sure. Okay. I mean, that was the one that was also made by them. I don't know if like a third party decided, hey, we're making another one. But like that one, like they were a big part of that. They, I know they were filming the cutscenes while they were filming the sequels. Like all that was happening as one unified thing. Yeah. But I think Path of Neo came out afterwards. Oh, and then there was the online one. Oh, yeah. Well, but, yeah. I mean, MMOs have their own. They're yeah. distinct. But I remember even Path of Neo being, which is a great example of being, well, okay. Because so much of that game was, here's Neo. You're in your office building. Get out. And it was like, oh, I guess I'll just walk to the conference room and then break the window and then get captured. Well, and no, like, but that was the thing is you actually got to try oh. to climb the building. And actually, I think in that... Oh, did you, they make changes? Yeah. Well, they. I think, yeah, they, they basically... I, put you in the position it's like well he made this choice in the film to just ah, get captured I was not you aware can of that. actually get to the the, the scaffolding and See. take it to the roof but That's in doing cool. so you had to like fight through i think eight or like because the people i talked to who like played that. that were they said it was just like they were just pushing him through the movie's motions and yeah. they felt bored and i mean there were probably maybe times they were where just dumb did, people i don't maybe, know maybe maybe some of the time you could do because i think that was the thing is like if you were trying to do that and got captured it just cut to okay you're right. captured sure, from sure. the movie mm-hmm. so it's like and maybe even that was the thing too maybe See, even i didn't you know they had options the roof, though in the first place yeah. they, they didn't seem to know either maybe yeah. they were dumb and then and i think there were parts where yeah you're probably playing through okay here's a scene where yeah he gets from here to here 
but you've got to be the one to move him from there and there and invade. Or like, like for example, like you know, the end of the film where everybody gets out but Neo. Now you're controlling him, and maybe it was like a different scenario. Mm. And it's like, well, when do you get caught? So you're, you Although know, you sure just, you're trying to get from point A to point B, but you get to actually play that. You happening. did just cement for me something that was a big problem with the SpongeBob movie video game, <laughs> which was was I mean, it was fine. It was a good game, you know. But before that, there was a game called The Battle for Bikini Bottom, which mm-hmm. was excellent. And it consists of a whole bunch of overworlds with miniature, level, miniature levels, which are all just straightforward. Navigate from A to B. You have 50 activities on the way, some of which you have to finish as you get from A to B, some of which you can come back to later. Done. But, and there's a rough order you have to do them in because you unlock things in levels that get you into other levels. Mm-hmm. But you do have a little bit of choice. You know, if you want to skip... Um, those of you who played what I'm talking about, if you want to skip straight from Jellyfish Fields to um, Goo Lagoon and not even go downtown, you can do that. Mm-hmm. There's a slight bit of choice there. And then you can go back and forth to the six different areas and collect things you missed and do secondary objectives. The movie game, because we're playing through the movie plot, is just those levels in order. Mm-hmm. And it's the same exact gameplay otherwise. Same powers, same enemy types, same platforming. And it was, it was just it was so much worse. Because of that. Yeah. Because it was just, I'm just going from plot point to plot point to plot point. And I don't, even though they're they're almost, they're very, very similar mechanics-wise, something about Battle for Bikini Bottom felt so much more free. Hmm. It felt so much more rejuvenating yeah. you know, to play. Whereas the movie game, I got halfway through and went, why don't I just watch the movie instead? You know? I'm not doing anything here. I'm not affecting anything. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I mean, it's kind of interesting, too, because, you know growing up in the era of video games where you just moved left to right and just fought whatever huh. was in front of you like yeah there was no choice there was no sense yeah. of like oh how am I affecting the outcome it's like either you die or you finish the game yeah. you know like there is no you know and, and and I feel like maybe they started gradually adding that like looking at things like Mario 3 where you had a map you could move around yeah, see, before going into I the mean. side scrolling right. thing yeah just that you know? alone was such yeah. a huge changer game yeah. changer aha yeah. um, you know that Movie adapt- video game adaptations Danger. of movies failed to, to notice that for mm-hmm. a long while. Yeah. So, Scott, I now want a YouTube series wherein you review all of the SpongeBob video games. <laughs> and I require it. I've only played those two. I'm saying we're going to buy you the games <laughs> and you're going to play through them and review them. Because I love you saying Bikini Bottom. Done. Uh, uh, so we're to- going to Bikini Bottom, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> From Bikini Bottom back to The Fugitive. Um, I wanted mm-hmm. to. Excuse. Is that a weird sound? Is no, it's just my fridge. Okay, sorry. It's wanting to input <laughs> to the podcast. Um, the idea of like the everyman actor. Mm-hmm. Can we think of anybody who's better at that than Harrison oh, Ford? Yeah, no. Let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about it as a concept, even. Just like because so many supposed everyman actors are people who definitely build, aren't the everyman. Uh-huh. Who were just you know we put a dirty T-shirt on him. Right. Yeah. Now he's Brad everyman. Pitt is not the everyman. No. Even no. if we put a scarf on him. <laughs> Although that makes me think of um Oh, I can never remember his name from Fight Club. Edward Norton. 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 Edward Norton, thank you. Is a pretty good everyman. And then also from uh surprisingly, I thought, from Wanted, um is that McAvoy? Yeah. Yeah, he was pretty good at that in Wanted too, at just being the guy who's just going about his life. I had more trouble believing him at the end of the film as an assassin than I did at the beginning as an office loser. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh, but okay, so yeah, so, so you know, um, yeah, who else? Who else? Who have we got who's, who's every man? 
Well, I, the one I was thinking is that <laughs> as we were watching this, there's a part where Harrison Ford dyes his hair black, and there are certain times where his profile looks like Jason Bateman. I was just like, oh my god, I want to see a remake of The Fugitive with Jason Bateman in this part. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like he's he's definitely been like a good like everyman. I mean, he's I don't think he's ever played like any sort of action hero. Um, but and actually another another thing that came up when you were talking about the whole like being a doctor and like being able mm-hmm. to stitch himself up. Uh, one of my favorite movies as a child had Jason Bateman in it. It was called A Moving Target. And there's a part where he kind of gets cut up because he has to jump through a window. And luckily, the girl that he's kind of involved in is a vet, so she knows enough yeah, about like, oh, okay, here it comes. She has to go see him. He has to go see her, and she like cleans up his wounds and all this stuff. And it was like, okay, that was a nice way to work it in. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. how is this teenager gonna know how to disinfect all these little cuts when you know his house is empty because his parents moved away and he has no idea where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, but yeah, I feel like he's definitely that just regular guy. Like yeah. you know, looks almost exactly the same in everything he's in. Right. You know. I think Bruce Willis is probably another one. I, he, He's he more of a juggernaut was, in things. I was mm-hmm. going to say he was, but as times have shifted, I don't think he would be nowadays. See, that's the thing. Like, it's it's every man or it's Bruce Willis in everything. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. We, we need a Bruce one Willis really. type or we need an everyman Part type. Part of why he, he stayed an everyman in Looper was because he was supposed to be older in that movie anyway. Right. So it, it sort of worked, you know. Mm. It, it, it told us that time had moved on without him. <laughs> Have you seen Looper? Yeah. Okay. We all like Looper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. The one podcast where that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> this yeah, is the hill we the will die on. Too. <laughs> hmm? It's about the time period, too, certainly. You know? yeah. I, who have we got nowadays? It's cool. Bradley Cooper's too good looking to be an everyman. I feel like when he was originally an Not to alias, say Harrison Ford he was isn't, like, but you know, he was definitely like the everyman, but yeah, somehow he became a heartthrob. There's something about him that just I can't see him as anything other than him. Right. For some reason. The thing is like they keep trying to build The Rock as an everyman, and he's not. I love him. He's charismatic as hell. He's the people's <laughs> the champion. Guy. Like I I love him in everything. But stop giving him roles where it's like this is supposed to be a relatable person. No, right. He has, and they always hack me. This like he's had SWAT training. He was a former bodybuilder. Like perfect example of what we were talking about in the Fugitive. That you know Ford's character was a doctor, right? And we saw him be a doctor right. for a huge stretch of time uh, before he had to stitch himself up. You know, instead, you know, The Rock shows up and just does the thing, and someone big like, dude. whispers, yeah. <laughs> oh, "Oh yeah, by the way, he was this." <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, no one is that big and has a regular nine to five job. <laughs> yes, correct. Uh, maybe you know, I, like, yeah. if, if we go the opposite route, like an every woman, Julianne Moore, who's in this, who mm-hmm. I've forgotten, is a great mm-hmm. every woman. I like that. Might be Jennifer me. Jason Leigh. Lee, Lee, how do you say it? I think it's Lee. Lee, Jennifer Jason Lee. What's she in? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, she was in the Hateful Eight. For one thing. Oh yeah. But, um, okay. She's yeah. maintained that, you know, throughout her career. See, I maybe that—that's the thing. Well. If you go, who is that? Oh yeah, yeah. like that's right. the every every <laughs> yeah. actor aesthetic is that they're in everything. Yeah. Which I think could have happened and then didn't. I you know for one reason or another with Drew Barrymore. Because I. So we recently well, she, rewatched Donnie Darko. Right. She was in that. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> but I always got like Girl Next Door. I know these are kind of derivative and see, but bullshit that's because ones, it, but she like, she's got such a 
she feels older in that. Her character is. Okay. I mean, it's still admittedly sort of young. For, I'm just saying for by the and scope large, of film history. What she's been in. Yeah. But that that sort of gave me a hint at like we could have seen her still acting right now in series. But I, for whatever reason, it didn't happen. I mean, right. maybe she wanted to. Who knows? But that, I could have seen it, and just reminded me of Noah Wiley. Yeah. Okay. Remember, he exists. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I think Ethan Hawke too. Right. That, yes. That's right? Exactly. Like, he would have been certainly for the well. He's he is always 80s, Ethan Hawke though. Right, that's fair. <laughs> he always looks damp. <laughs> that's, that's true. My favorite thing about like the first purge is like, oh, Ethan Hawke's still alive and he's still acting. Okay, good for him. <laughs> he's in this home invasion movie. Like Norton, I don't know. Like, and that's the thing. Like every man is what different is from like generic white men. Like forgettable. Like the lead character yeah. in Avatar. Mm-hmm. Not Airbender, the the no, blue I know. alien like that. There is guy. no Airbender movie. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> we don't speak. Only of it. one Avatar Shyamalan. movie. It's got blue-skinned people. Shyamalan Ding Dong, <laughs> or um, the guy in the first Pacific Rim, Charlie Hunnam. Yeah, yeah. He played uh, most recently. It was King Arthur. Oh yeah, That's right, yeah. Oh, that was a film. Hey, <laughs> I think he's in a new one too. Who else? There's someone else who's famous that's in that. That I was like, oh look, those two guys are together. Okay. Maybe it's a TV show. It's just kind of this generic square Wait, I want to nominate, um, and even though we haven't seen it, I want to nominate the guy from Upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> Although he's like the poor That's man's... That's the point of his role, Yeah, he's like the poor man's uh, Tom Hardy, I feel like. Uh, yes, Tom I've Tom seen Tom him like, described that, that. No. And, and <laughs> I, that's, that's why, because yeah. Tom Hardy's too distinctive to yeah, be an everyman. Yeah. So he's, he's good in everything. Oh, he's great. Like... And it, it might be a, like a, a, a niche role that doesn't exist anymore, yeah. but I feel like Paul Walker. Just, yeah, just lately people don't want to see the everyone. You know, Paul Rudd. White. Paul Rudd. Speaking of another Paul, he's too funny though. <laughs> That's the th- like. But he well, but he doesn't have to be though. Like he he can be sort of just like regular guy. I mean, he's good. Like, that's one of the things that I love best about him is that he he walks this weird line between being ridiculous and being straight. You know? Right. And it's like, wait, is he is he being funny or is he being serious? And that's what makes it funny. But, like, he's still, like, I feel like he does it in such a regular way. You know, he's he's not Jim Carrey funny. You know, we're <laughs> like, yeah, like, a person like this, yeah, nobody, nobody like this actually exists in the real world without right. getting punched in the face constantly. <laughs> you know? Or hugged by Joel. Yeah. <laughs> I, so what Damon? I, I was going to say Damon earlier, yeah. Because he's not quite, like, Bourne got him, like, action sure. cred, for yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. But when he's, he's in stuff, in like... The Informant, Downsizing, yeah. The Ocean's Movies... His yeah. character has a great arc through all three right. of those. He's um, probably got the best arc of anybody. Yeah. He might be the only person who evolves in those films. Yeah. Like, I feel like Damon might be... Because he's handsome without being super hot. Right. He's yeah. funny and affable without being too funny. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like I've seen him in some things, too, where he's kind of, like, gained a little weight. And it's like, oh, yeah, you just look like a regular kind of... guy. 30s, right. yeah. you know, kind of dumpy kind of guy. Like, you know, hey, you look like me, you know. No. no, he's too good. No, 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 no. Think about him all in Tropic right, Thunder. Right, right. Think about him in Tropic Thunder, and American Hustle. Was he, he was American Hustle, right? Or am Is I mixing that one up with? Oh, him? he, he's the. 
but he's a character actor in Tropic Thunder. Yeah. It's a joke. Like, I no, I, I he's he's still riding that all right, all right, all right thing. Like, yeah. I, I don't think, even the reconnaissance, I haven't seen Interstellar, so maybe that's that's different. But, like, being that he's had the reconnaissance, he's coming back. I, well, I, I guess don't, I need to ask about... What, <laughs> I said it twice, because I need that to be a hashtag. I guess I need to ask about what makes it Everyman, because that's the point that I've seen him and Damon in such a diverse area, set of roles, and that they've nailed it in all of them. That I'm starting to, they're because it, because they're becoming believable to me in any I role. See. They're becoming okay. an everyman to me. I think it like more. I think it's more appearance based in my head. I think McConaughey is too attractive okay. to be. An That's everyman. fair. Not to yeah. say that Matt. Obviously, these guys are. Well, I mean, they're all attractive like actors. Like yeah, but. Uh, but well, I think. But to, to, to back to the <laughs> original though, Idris like, Elba. Yeah. In terms of handsomeness, because he's. He's, he's so good hot. looking, but he's got that rugged sort of boxer's good looks, you know? He's not the suave sort of dashing. You wouldn't believe him as a, you know, the pirate with the sword sort of thing. He's, oh, I would. He's a different <laughs> kind of good looking, you know? I don't know. Like, I, I think Andrews is super attractive, so that might just well, be is. my... That's my point. It's the difference between him attractive and Pierce Brosnan and Thomas Crown Affair attractive. That they're yeah, but both saying, really like, good to look I, at. If if we're we're this is such a superficial discussion, <laughs> but like if we're thinking of Damon, right? Sure. But that's the other thing. Like Harrison is well, super attractive too. So yeah. if we're, we're well, but that's the thing. He's ruggedly so, attractive. But also like I, like or oh, the term like classically attractive. Right. You know like Thank that you. that sense of like you know yeah he looks like a guy who's good looking, but he doesn't look like a quote unquote movie star. Yes, you know you. where it's got this like super huge like you said Brad yes. Pitt Stinker. like superhuman good looks. Stay thinking about him. Be, uh, okay. But he's I like an action that. guy. That's yeah, another, he's like too many niche, action roles for so me to know yeah. for sure. No, I, uh, you so, were onto something, Tim. So yeah, so like if you've got, you know, this sort of the 1 to 10 kind of scale, <laughs> like these these unbelievably attractive people who are like 10s, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. that it's like, okay. The Bogart, the Sinatra, yeah, you know, the old-fashioned, no the glorious movie star handsome look. Clooney. Yeah. Is in that I'll get him that. But my point that our taste men might be different. Tim, that's yeah, that's exactly <laughs> I think my that's point it, about yeah. Idris Elba that he's super gorgeous, but he's not classically handsome. I think he is. Like more so, I th- I think part of the thing is like, okay, if you were living under a rock and didn't know who Harrison Ford was, and you saw, and him, you on saw him on the street, you wouldn't be like, oh god damn, like that that guy should be a model. He's so attractive. He's so right. like you know he looks like and quote unquote every man. Like to me, I didn't think every, every man, man in terms of like, um, you know, playing all these roles, like looking like every other person you would see on the street. I see. You know, like and, and therefore could play like a regular guy, not like mm-hmm. oh I need to play like like Chris Hemsworth is a perfect example. Right. He uh. can't play like. A school teacher who's just this subtle little guy kind of eking right. out his existence being a third grade math teacher like he has to be some sort of fucking superhero like right. you know he's just that good looking completely contrary to Mark Ruffalo right who yeah. can just okay. be Mark Ruffalo yeah, yeah right. he could be anybody and he Rick had, Moranis and, would know. have been another mm-hmm. example of that although I feel like Rick Moranis is on the other end of the spectrum where it's like okay you have to be a comedic actor right. because you look silly Steve Buscemi yeah 
Sorry, Steve. Yeah. You're yeah, a great so actor. I like no, but it also, I, love, I love Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Oh, yeah. something, he's great. When he's in something, that's a reason for me to see it. He's one <laughs> yeah. of my favorite parts of Monsters, Inc. Like, <laughs> Yeah. He's one of my favorite parts of Mystery Train. He's barely in that. He's in that? Yeah. That's cool. Spoiler? Eh, not really. He shows up at the beginning, like, for ten seconds. And then he's in the third story. I see. But, but yeah, anyway. It's one of my favorite parts of um, Happy Gilmore. No, Billy Madison. Yeah, Billy Madison. Mm-hmm. Sure mm. glad I called that guy. <laughs> you know who else is that just instantly movie star handsome? Aaron Eckhart. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I, so the way I got I there. I love that they just. Was that for some reason face. Steve Buscemi always reminds me of the TV series Rescue Me. Which yeah, Aaron Eckhart okay. was in. Oh, okay. I don't know why. Wait, is Eckhart in that or is that Dennis Leary? Dennis Leary. Dennis Maybe Leary's Aaron in that. Eckhart was in it too. I don't know. I need to, I'm going to get Google. <laughs> I might be completely mixing up two two important people here. Documented joke stealer Dennis Leary. <laughs> I think he's hilarious, but he, he stole stuff. I don't have a face for Dennis Leary. He was in... Uh, he played Captain Stacy. It is Dennis Leary in Rescue Me. Yeah, the, but he, they uh, look very Crow. similar. Same I think hairstyle. Eckhart's way more attractive. No, than I. Dennis that's Leary. fair. Yeah. No, I, yeah. Damn, I'm... Well, anyway... I'm extra crazy. <laughs> you have that association, but it's wrong. <laughs> but Aaron Eckhart was Two-Face. Right. And yeah. Yes. So, I mean... Dennis Leary is Two-Face would have been terrible. So, how I got there was wrong, but the, the point yeah. stands. Aaron Eckhart is that dashing, classically beautiful, just... Yes. Yeah. It's a very, very uh, content in their masculinity and okay with appreciating the male form. Speaking of which, here's what Dennis Leary in a dress. <laughs> 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 oh, you know who looks good in a dress? <laughs> Me. Uh, 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 Bond. The the what's Craig? Daniel, Daniel Craig. Craig. Craig did something like a promo promo for something. I love that Craig is. He's done some comedies here and there. He's totally not like. He's not too big for any role. You know what yeah. I mean? He's not. No role is beneath him. Sort of thing right. I get from him. It's, he's another every like. He's really attractive, but he also has a potato shaped head. And, like, you could see him like the guy well, in the see, bar. That, we, that it comes back to the fun. Elba discussion. That's why I was talking about that in the first place. Is yeah, because true. when I talk about Idris Elba as James Bond, there are people who say to me, he's not classically handsome enough, like Brosnan or Connery. Mm. And then we say, well, but what about Craig? Who also is... Right. Yeah, is this it, is also a completely like, different decade. It comes like, back to our know, discussion yeah. before about different kinds of Bond. Right. Yeah. You know, some Craig... Uh, not Craig. Connery falls back on the gentleman Bond who plays golf with Goldfinger. We don't have that anymore. We have Cray. He's the bruiser Bond, you know? Right. Skyfall Manor is dilapidated by choice, right. sort of. You know, and that's that whole conversation in Casino Royale yeah. wears it with such disdain. Yeah, so. If we go back to, like, the every woman, I feel like yeah. Emma Stone would like to be the every woman, mm-hmm. but she's gorgeous and super, like, she has this kind of quirk aesthetic that she's in all these things as. See, but I, she feels a little more every woman to me because of, I mean, she is gorgeous. But again, it's not quite classical, like you might get with Anne Hathaway. Like I almost can't mm. see Emma uh, Emma Stone across from Bogart. Well, she was in that noir film that it, the the gangster one. That is no, no, no. What <laughs> I that was so much modern paint slathered over what a I'm gangster saying, concept. I know, but what I'm saying is like she was good in that role. Okay, oh, yes. I mean, they were good at it. But aesthetically, it loses almost all of its its credibility. I can't see them. Emma Stone in L.A. Confidential, you know? Because Gangster Squad was trying to be another L.A. Right. Confidential, and it didn't come close. It was good. I enjoyed it. It was fun. But it didn't, 
you know, it didn't come close aesthetically. There's something about Emma Stone that's too modern. Maybe I love her hips. I mean, and I don't even okay. mean that sexually. I just mean genuinely, just shape wise, like mm. something about that that's really appealing to me. But again, it I could see Anne Hathaway in no, a speakeasy I, across yeah, from Bogart, but I can't see Emma Stone. Mm. So so wait, is that now the is that what we're qualifying for the every man every woman is that doing like gangster films or I thought it was more no, like um, being a normal everyday see, kind but of like someone you would see why I would argue she she qualifies for me cuz I can see her in a bunch of roles showing up like I'm th- and it's specifically because I've seen her in films when she doesn't quite look so dashing well, yeah, like, I mean, look at early in her career, like, when she's on, wise like, or whatever. Uh, super bad and stuff like that. Yeah. She's just, like, a regular... She just shows up, you know? You know? Yeah. She's not the hot girl in high school. She's a girl that, right. you know, he she's has... pretty. Like, yeah. But, you know, yeah. What about... I can see her. Jennifer Lawrence as the every woman. I think so. I feel like she... Maybe it's, like, versatility is a, a part of it, too. I don't know. Because she's in everything, and I believe her in everything. You know, everything. I'm having more trouble with this topic... I think just generally because women get cast so often for looks. That's fair. That I, you know, I'm having trouble Jamie thinking of a Steve Buscemi. It's a, sorry, Steve, again, as a woman. <laughs> not that again, not that he's like horrifying to behold or anything, but just that you know, one Family Guy when he says every one of that guy's teeth is in business for itself. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we we've, we've talked about the difference between the the dashing it's handsome so and the rugged handsome and the everyday handsome. Yeah. For men, and we've covered Bogart to Elba to Craig to Brosnan to to Hardy to whoever you know. But I think the other thing just, that's difficult. I'm having trouble finding that casting at all when I think about actresses that I know of offhand. Yeah, because it's been so bullshit male driven for such a long time. Like I, I don't know. Oh, Scarlett Johansson. I and and I say that I think maybe facially she's definitely very handsome and suave and dashing. But because we've seen her as Black Widow and in Ghost in the Shell, for one, and mm-hmm. in, I've seen her in a lot of things that have yeah, like just... like Ghost World, where she's just like... I have trouble remembering everything she's been in too, right? because her look changes so much from film to film. This mm-hmm. chameleon adaptability. Right. That's her to sort of show up and it's like, oh yeah, there she is. Mm-hmm. You know, hello again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, um, and let me... I definitely know I'm having trouble name-wise with the person in this film, so I'm going to look this one up before I even say it. But Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan? Who she's in? Well, she was in Drive. Okay. I'm glad I looked it up because I had a different name in mind. But um, not in a whole hell of a lot else that was particularly brought. So Suffragette, more recently. um, Mm. A film called Sunny. Uh, Gatsby. She was Daisy in Gatsby with oh, DiCaprio. Okay. Let's see, Never Let Me Go, the Ishiguro adaptation. Hmm. Right, um, Public Enemies, the right. John Billinger yeah. film. With Depp, right? Yeah. Let's see, but just the fact that I'm having to look up these films for y'all, I think she fits pretty well. But her role in Drive was very Girl Next Door. I think we might have hit upon like Ugh. a patriarchal problem with We're the having trouble here. Yeah. Okay. Or, I'm, or at the very least, with our own right. our own experiences. That's fair. Maybe if not, you know. Who, not who's the person with the most uh, best actress Oscars? That's fine. why can't I remember her name? Iron Lady. She like she played Julia Child in Julia and Julie. Uh, 
you, I, I could picture her. We know who she but is. I can't remember I her name. I specifically have a name problem with her and someone else, so I'm gonna I'm gonna look. I keep Meryl thinking, Streep. Yeah, Streep. Okay. Streep is yeah. super versatile, and she like disappears into every role. She you believe be her in everything. That's yeah. I mean, that's one of the things the Academy gets right is whenever she's in the mix, <laughs> it's yes, correct. Uh. <laughs> Maybe to avoid continuing to put, stick our heads up our own asses about uh, <laughs> this, gonna, we should move yeah, on. We should to, stop well, talking about well, women we know nothing that, about. One of the things, sort of, in, in a vague sort of sense, you know, I, I remember um, a friend of mine making a distinction when he was talking about um, when they were making the first Star Trek movie. Uh-huh. Okay. How, like, Shatner yeah. wasn't an actor, that he was a layers. movie star. The sound of Joel and, eating many chocolate donuts, and and that difference between like someone yes who loses themselves in a role and is like it's my job for okay, the so person watching yes. this to only see this character that right. versus someone who is trying to steal the scene because and everything there are they're actors in. even without trying there are actors that I only ever see as the actor the actor in this movie mm-hmm. and then there are other actors who I see as the character yeah. that I'm watching yeah you know. And sometimes it's not their fault. I oh think. no, no, like Samuel L. Jackson, like and they give right. phenomenal I've never lost in whoever not he's a, playing. It's not a mark against the film or yeah. the person or the writing or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just the nature of the performance, and it it's fascinating to see different ones because I I sort of went through that a transformation almost with with Ryan Gosling because at first I could only see his characters, but as I realized that he was one of my favorite actors and started seeking out more of his films, I am now having trouble seeing anything other than Ryan right. Gosling. Like, I've done it to myself. Mm-hmm. And I still love the films just as much. And his performances just as much. You know, they haven't suffered for it. But there's been a shift in my perspective. Gotcha. Have you seen, I think it was his first film, or the first one maybe he was known for, where he's like a Jewish Nazi? No. I forget what it's called. It's it was not like American before, history. Yeah. No, that's no. Norton. That's it was Norton like again. before, Speaking before of like anyone knew who Ryan Gosling was, it was like, who's this guy? It was like some indie film where he was like, trying to come to terms with this idea of like identity being a nazi and but then like his jewish heritage and right. like there are these you know really interesting back and forth scenes where he's like you know with this like group of white supremacists but then he's like doing this thing where he's like reading from the torah and it's just like wow like right. that was you know like how, how does that even happen you know and i guess like you know plenty of people do that as they grow up they try to break away from their upbringing right. how far back do i have to go for probably that? as far back as possible it's like this i think notebook this, for sure no yeah. well i mean as far back as possible as 1995 on one episode of are you afraid of the dark so, so what's after that um tv tv goosebumps we finally get to what looks like a movie of 1996 frankenstein and me that's not it like i something i've learned from imdb as far back as possible is farther than you think yeah. for every actor <laughs> Because you know That's they true. do all these smaller, smaller roles. So I remember once looking at Jackie Chan's TV show one, called Breaking Miles Long, Breaker High, Young Hercules, The Unbelievable Hercules. Remember the Titans? He was in Remember the Titans. Oh my God! Yes, he was. The Believer. Yes, this hit. The Believer. Because I see a swastika and a Star okay. of David on yeah. the cover of the poster. So yeah. mm-hmm. The Believer, two thousand one. A young Jewish man develops a fiercely anti-Semitic philosophy. Huh. huh. Would not have pegged him for that. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially to start, I mean, with something like right. that early on in his career, and then because how soon after that was the Notebook, or was it even before? So, so the Believer was two thousand one. The Notebook was two thousand four. 
That's okay. what I would have said. Yeah. It's like, you know who we need for this love story? The guy who's a Jewish Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So in the interest of time, mm-hmm. since we are doubling up. Doubling up. <laughs> um, it's time for situational movie recommendations. Does anybody have one? Uh, yeah. I just... And I, I... Only because we just thought of this, I... Um, your favorite film centered around a woman. And I want to say that because I, I feel like we've revealed, maybe with ourselves or maybe with the industry, mm-hmm. that female casting is just the... And, and I mean, not that this... I, I was going to say, not that this needed saying, but maybe it does, that... It always needs saying. You know, the parts are much more limited, mm-hmm. women. So yeah, what's your favorite film that centers around a woman? And I, I realize I've kind of ambushed you both with this. No, so this we're gonna is, this is a probably cut out a huge chunk of silence where we all just think <laughs> for twenty minutes because you probably didn't have one ready. You know, it's mm. not expected. Um, I, I don't have problem. one ready, but just I want to think about it. I want I want to keep pushing that line of thought. <clears throat> it only just occurred to me. I wonder what's I, my answer to this. I don't know. I have one that well, it isn't my favorite, but I want to throw it out there because sure. I want to make a recommendation for people to see it. Is yeah. uh, it's on Netflix right now? It's called Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson, mm. and uh, I, I I watched that a few weeks back, and it was it was one of those like I, I wanted to bring it to Movie Mumble, but there are many other things that I want to bring even more. Mm-hmm. So maybe at some point we'll get around to it. But it's it's definitely worth saying like you should see this. This is like an amazing film. Um, really, really creepy. Like, be prepared for some kind of disturbing images here and there. Um, but like, really good, really well done. This really cool mix of like, there are some times where you're just kind of sitting with this shot that's just this texture, and then it kind of jumps back into the plot and it moves it along. So it's almost like you're watching this avant-garde thing sometimes, where oh, there's no plot. It's just look at these different scenes that have different contrasting textures, but then interwoven is this plot that's moving the story ahead. Um, but that was really cool, and that was centered around a woman, so that's mm-hmm. why I wanted to mention it. Um, I'm having trouble conjuring up a sizable number of films at all in my memory. Like I must have seen more than you know four, but I've got I've got Hunger Games and Kill Bill and Ghost in the Shell. Hmm. I'm, have, I'm having asked the question myself, yeah. I now find myself without a lot of. Answers. I think for me. Being the Bronte file that I am, any adaptation in film of Jane Eyre is a huge deal for me. I love that character, I love that story, and basically anybody who steps into that role is, I mean, it's breathtaking, because that character is so rich and so interesting. Um, I want to do what Tim did and just point out a film without choosing it, but um, Zootopia? Yeah, yeah, which is able to get away with our main character being female. Yeah. Uh, get away just, with it. Well, get, it, gets, it gets away with it by just not mentioning it ever. Which, yeah. on the one hand, is great because, like, yeah, like, who cares? But on the other hand, I also feel like at the moment we sort of have a responsibility to. That movie to is pay outstanding. To whatever, that might you know, be mine. A little more. Now that you say that. Yeah, because on the one hand, it's great that it just. I, like, I forgot. I was like, oh, yeah, this, like, it's about the people, you mm-hmm. know? The male-female is irrelevant, which is awesome. You know what I also... But on the other hand... Silence of the Lambs. Ooh, yeah. Clarice is is that movie. That's great. She didn't get the Oscar. No. But that... Yeah. That's that's its own issue. But that character 
and how she moves through that just web of terror yeah. is outstanding. And she, she has this earnestness. She has this dedication to duty. This idea that she's navigated this Speaking boys' of which, club. Alien. Fuck yeah. Why did it take me so long to think of that? Holy crow. Oh man. That's one of my favorite movies. It's up there. Like top top ten for sure. That, I can't believe yeah. it took me that long to think about. Silence of the Lambs is gonna be mine. I'll I'll settle on Alien, but I'll take the moment not settle for. I mean yeah. I'll I'll land on it. That's my pick. But I also mm-hmm. wanna take another wanna be another a bit of an asshole and point out another film, Inside Out. Well, yeah. who, depending on whether your main characters are happiness and sadness, or um, Riley is her name, the young girl they, whose mind they're in. Riley sounds right. It's all women, you know, all three of those characters. Although, again, it's a little less about, you know. Actually, no, yeah, an alien too. I mean, that's that's the point. They these characters all stand on their own, completely irrelevant to whether or not they're female. Mm. I think Jodie Foster also is pretty good to every woman. Mm-hmm. It's been it's been long enough since I saw that that I don't feel comfortable weighing in. No, that's fair. Um, but they actually, I, I definitely thought positively of her for Hannibal, which is the sequel. They recast Clarice. That is to say, the film, not the TV series. Correct. Because <laughs> there's um, also a TV series yeah. called Hannibal. And they yeah. cast Julianne Moore. Oh, nice. Uh, okay. really oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and actually, as speaking of uh, um, Jodie Foster, again, this isn't my pick, but a recommendation. Another. Uh, um, uh, uh, contact. Yes. Ooh. Oh, that's so good. Oh, uh, now I feel really bad that I haven't seen Arrival. Arrival. Yeah. Is also very, 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 very good. You need mm-hmm. to see that then. Yeah. Um, I think my my pick for my favorite, and maybe this might just be because it's on my mind because it's recent and it recently moved to Hulu is Mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that was coming. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I've got to bring that in at some point. Yeah, <laughs> we, we just that might be the way I watch it because I'm too frightened to watch yeah. it by myself. <laughs> that was a good. I think we need to do more like this that are challenging. Yeah, I think that's, that's important. Cool. And mm-hmm. it, it reminded us all of a lot of good. You could movies. make an argument for Mad Max Fury Road. Yes, because even though it's named for Max, Fury. our main character is yep. really Furiosa. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Hollywood is that, doing better. Was that Scarlett Johansson? No, that's Charlize Theron. Theron. Right, right. Thank She's you. great in everything, and she she plays. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, Atomic, Atomic Blonde. Blonde. Yeah, yep. that's another one I was uh, thinking I in, in this category. But then she'll she'll play that character on Arrested Development. Like <laughs> she she, there's nothing that's uh, beneath her. She, yeah, yeah. She's such a good sport. She plays the girlfriend in uh, Million Ways to Die in the West. Oh, that's right. She's oh yeah, I forgot about that. Good friends with Seth MacFarlane. What a forgettable film that, that was. That was refreshing. I, I'm bolstered by the number of films we were able to come up with in the end. But on the other hand, I'm it sad. Should be I'm sad. It should have been easier for us. Yeah. And Moana. We should have had more. Moana. Yeah. Mulan. Yeah, a bunch of the, the, the Disney's. That, I mean, yeah, oh yeah, Disney the, movies galore. Yeah. Princess Especially the, the more recent ones. Has a special place in my heart. Yeah. For the beignets and the jazz. <laughs> <laughs> and the commentary. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. I'm... I'm Brave, Mulan, Pocahontas, um, Moana, Princess and the Frog. I mean, Pocahontas notwithstanding the inaccuracies. Mm-hmm. And oh well, no, but just in terms of having a central focused, female character, that's, that's who, you know, Beauty drives the, the plot. Yeah, yeah. Even I mean, mm-hmm. great stuff. Little Mermaid, even. She's yeah. the 
she trades her voice to be with a guy. I don't know if that, that's... Well, I mean, it's still centered around that's her. That's fair. Yeah. Three men talk about women's role. <laughs> nah, but that's it's better than not talking about right. it. Right. Thank you. Exactly. We should be talking about it. I just, I just need to poke the woke stick. Understanding that we're limited in our perspectives and our understandings yeah but we're well, we're trying you know yeah and also yeah to try to, try to raise the awareness as opposed to like well i have a feeling where i'm trying to invalidate this aspect yeah. of it you we're know? gonna we're gonna try and we're gonna get it wrong sometimes or make missteps yeah but we're gonna keep trying <laughs> sounds like a fortune cookie. <laughs> <laughs> cool. no that was a good one yeah. thank you guys for watching the fugitive if, with you, me. Yeah, if you all are still with us listeners after our pseudo-political discussions god um, bless you Bless you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for bringing us the fugitive. I'm yeah. glad you guys liked yeah. it. Again, every, every I feel time. bad that we didn't talk more about it, but like we said before, there's just it's great. Nothing else to say. Like and that's what, what the recaps are for too. Like it's, yeah, it's, we can always revisit it. Yeah, like, it's I'm I, like I said every time I bring something, I'm like oh my, because I go first. I'm like oh my god, I'm, like, we gonna like it? Are they still gonna like me afterwards? And, uh, yeah. Like with this one specifically, like I don't watch it that often because I like it so much and I kind of forget about it. And I hope it's as good as I remember it. Yeah, and this yeah. one always is. So, sweet. So with that, we can talk about um, both the next film in this cycle, and we'll talk about our Halloween cycle. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo! Um, so, I, uh, which, where do you want to start, boys? I don't know. Probably just the, the next regular episode. And okay. Then, yeah. Regular episode. Woo! That's not supposed to be for the regular stuff. It's regular. Only the special stuff. Regular. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Tim earns <laughs> points for that. Um, he persisted. Um... So yeah, so I, I'm up next, and my favorite film is Blade Runner. And I, that's it, the original Blade Runner. So, oh wait, so would the, like the theatrical release? No. Oh, okay. God, no. Oh, my original, <laughs> by original, I mean not the sequel. I mean not 2049. Gotcha, okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, which is its own story. I have the, the, the box is on the coffee table. If you both want to pick it up, it's heavy. Because there's so many versions. Because there are so many discs in there. Oh my God. Um, there are a bunch of different versions of Blade Runner. I'll talk your ears off about it on the actual episode. But um, five discs. It turns oh out God. I actually didn't see the theatrical version until I owned this collection. Oh wow! Because the one I got from Blockbuster happened to be the director's cut. Mm-hmm. I just I didn't know. I just got Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. You know? But uh, God, yeah, so we'll, we'll talk movie. about that. We'll talk about the versions. We are of course going to watch the final cut, mm-hmm. the most definitive of the versions. To date. Uh, to date. Yeah, nice. Deleted scenes. Yeah, we'll see. So, so yeah, it's Blade Runner. More Harrison Ford. Yes, sir. Uh, which is why Tim, you need to pick a Harrison Ford film. Sorry, <laughs> too bad. I know. No. Um, well, we'll, at least my some... film has one of the or actors Tommy Lee that Jones was in, film that was in uh, in the Fugitive. Fugitive. That's true. So, so there's so. that. Seven Degrees of Kevin Bacon on this yeah. one. Yeah. But anyway, that's it. It's Blade Runner. Yeah. I love it. Um, I feel no shame. Yeah. I will never stop loving it. <laughs> uh, I, we mentioned, I think, before we began recording, and I, I hope you all will help me remember to mention again when we're watching Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. So many of my favorite movies require your focus, yeah. Which is why I rewatch them so infrequently. Because when I just want to toss something on and half watch it, I can't be my favorite movies because right. you got to pay too much yeah. attention. So, Blade Runner falls into that boat for sure, and uh, I'm just super excited. I don't remember. Uh, have Tim, have you seen the old Blade Runner? Yes. Yes. Like the oh, the, this like one. The, yes. Yeah. Remember you let me borrow it. And yes. You told me yes, which yes. cut let to borrow watch. It. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, you watched then, it in pre- preparation for yeah, preparation for twenty twenty nine. Okay. Yeah. Then yeah. Then we're all set. I think we've all seen it before. Yeah. Is this the first film we've all seen before? 
all three of us? Oh, maybe. Is he? It might be. Yeah, because Tim hadn't seen Bond. Right. Which you and I had seen. Um, and did either of you see Freddy Got Fingered? I thought no. Maybe, okay. I, thought I haven't, so no. I, I, yeah, this might be the first film all oh, three wow. of us have already seen. Wow, nice. That's interesting. Cool. I'm excited. We've definitely and I'm beating Tim to the punch <laughs> on that. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, yeah. So anyway, that's my favorite. That's going to be next regular episode, which will be one month from now. But before you hear Blade Runner, you're going to get three special episodes. Special episodes. A, a, three of them. A, a special cycle, Halloween. if you will. <laughs> special cycle. Thank you. Yeah. Um, of our favorite. That one, so. That's all right. Our our favorite Halloween picks, um, which has created quite a prior discussion about what makes a film a Halloween film because my go-to lately has been Alien is a horror film Mm -hmm. and people associate horror with Halloween there's nothing about Alien that's necessarily Halloween Halloween. specific you Mm -hmm. know and there are films like The Nightmare Before Christmas or what have you that are definitely Halloween films I haven't qualified for both are definitely Halloween films aren't really horror you know it's it's an interesting subcategory of sorts I got into a pretty heated argument with my partner Tyna about this (laughs) aesthetic the idea she she calls it spoopy the 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 oh, Halloween yes. film has to be spoopy, which not ne- doesn't necessarily mean scary. But then you have films like Halloween, right? The slasher movie, which totally know. qualifies under her criteria. Evil Dead, mm-hmm. even the, the oh. old one, or um. <laughs> I just I just killed Joel. Oh, no. I just gave him an aneurysm. He took so long. He agonized over his decision for weeks. He finally had a decision made, and I just said the words "Evil Dead," and I just watched him die inside. Podcast over. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I, you live pretty close. You can change your answer. I, uh, I can't <laughs> well, decide. Well, maybe we shouldn't announce my pick yet because it's still up in the air. Okay, well, <laughs> well Joel's pick. Tune in I, next week. <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to announce all three if that's okay with you guys. That's cool. Um, yeah, it might change. We can skip over on Joel's. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. But I'm, I'm definitely settled on mine. Secret. Yeah, I'm settled on mine too. Uh, mine's going to be Donnie Darko. Ooh. And uh, mine's gonna be I'm the really exit, excited though. for that. Sorry. <laughs> well, because you said and and turned to me, so I was like, uh, and. No, yeah. I'm Do sorry. we want to leave a gap and we could cut that out? Now nah, let's just be bumbling idiots. It's better that way. <laughs> uh, and so um, I just I'm really excited to watch that again. I rewatched yeah. it last night by coincidence, so I'm excited. Sorry, Tim, I stole your thunder again. No, that's okay. Uh, so yeah, so mine is The Exorcist. And I'm I have, so excited because I've never seen that. Right. So I'm I have, so excited. I have the re-release cut where like a maybe what ten years ago? No, more probably more like fifteen years ago. They added in some other footage that they had taken out for the original theatrical release and then re-released it in the theaters. Oh, God. So it has, like, mm. footage added back in. I which, which I had seen it before that and had sort of been terrified. And then when I saw the added footage, it was just like, oh, my God, like, why did they add this? So it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Joel, Bring do you want to maybe list the ones you're <laughs> deliberating over or do you just want to wait and let the first one be a surprise? I think Whoa. it needs to be a surprise. Okay. <laughs> <The first one laughs> be. So, so the first in the cycle will be a surprise. So um, this episode you're listening to now has come out on the first weekend of October. Yep. The second, third, and fourth weekends are going to be our Halloween episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, you get you get a full month of movie mumble. Woo! Maybe, yeah. Can you handle it? <laughs> um, they can. And then can. Uh, back to back to my favorite Blade Runner on the first weekend of November. Sweet. Which I'm very happy about, because November is also my birthday month. So I'm glad nice. I get to pick my favorite movie for yeah. that, that month's release. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lots of exciting movies to look forward to. 
hopefully lots of worthwhile discussion, although you never know with us. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <Fair. laughs> um, we hope you'll join us next time. Thanks for uh, coming along into the beginning of our second year of Movie Mumble. Uh, we hope you're still enjoying it, and you know, we hope we'll be with you for many years to come. Woo. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hey, listeners, we appreciate you tuning in for our podcast. We're now available on iTunes if you'd like to check us out there. We'd be glad to have you subscribe. We'd also love to hear your feedback, whether it's a comment, review, or anything else. You can reach us all through our official Nerds That Geek emails, which you can find on the bio page at nerdsthatgeek.com. Or, if you can find us on social media, I'm on Instagram at scott underscore w underscore murray. And then on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at joelt18. And on Instagram, I'm the Tim Gerard, and on Twitter, I'm at Tim Gerard. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you'll come back for more. Thank you.